I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom. No middle name this, uh, this day because I'm a little... Got a lot of things going on in the head. Against the Kings of the Earth. Bionic. Was that a last-second middle name? That was name? a last-second middle name. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. That's pretty close between that and not having one at all, you know, on value-added middle name. Well, it's that's about, okay. It's the value meter. You tried. You, know? you tried. Yeah. We appreciate that. Our listeners do, too. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be back with you today. Uh, and we are not going to do an interview today. And no, you're not mistaken or in a time warp and think it's Friday. It's one of those rare times when we're going to have an extra tomorrow's tremors because we have a very special guest tomorrow, which you'll find out about tomorrow, but it can only be with us for an hour. So we're going to uh, do some, some extra news stories that we have. Sweetness. And uh, we should get... Get started into that. Anything on your heart and mind before we jump into the latest? I could. Well, there's events. a lot of things, but I don't want to bore our audience with any. They complain boring. about that a lot in yeah. the emails. Combionic <laughs> bores us. Signed, the audience. You know those new little. Uh, I, I've noticed those new uh, uh, things that kids are selling. Is uh, uh, I guess they're I guess they're like voodoo dolls or something that you can put on a keychain. All this stuff. I've noticed that some of them look strangely like Tom Bionic. It's a little oh, frustrating. I'm glad you compared us. Speaking of what the audience says, would you like me to tell you real quickly what someone in the audience said about us? Gravity's rainbow? No? Hang on. Let me call it up here. Okay. I, this is a last second. Uh, Hail Mary pass. Yeah. Uh, uh, stall for me, Tom Bionic. All right. Well, um, you know, the one thing I have been looking at, interestingly, is the... Is the idea of being disciples? Um, you know, the word disciple, of course, and the practical connotation in Jesus's time was that you followed the rabbi everywhere he went. He got up to go out, you know, to do something. You followed him. You were sort of covered in his, covered in his dust, as Ray Vanderland puts it. Hmm. Um, and it dawned on me. Uh, somebody said something to me. He said, unless you were, unless you're reading. Um, Unless you're reading the Gospels, all four Gospels, once a month, uh, I don't know if that's, I don't know. It's Where different. is that in Scripture about the four Gospels once a month? It's nowhere. But they were talking about the whole idea of being like a serious disciple. And I stopped and thought about it. I said, you know, there's some, might be some benefit. If Jesus, if I'm really Jesus' disciple, you know, I should be reading a lot more. And then it dawned on me, if you read about three to four chapters a day in the Gospels, you can get through them in about a month. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, you know, it's really, it's the only instruction, reliable instruction we have. Mm-hmm. He didn't ask for us to read a whole lot. It's not like law school. Yeah. Where we have a stack of books, <laughs> you know. Yeah. He says, just do this. You know, he mm-hmm. says, in fact, you got to cut, just do Sermon on the Mount if you really press for time. Yeah. Just just go do that. Go act, read it, then act it out. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't really ask a whole lot. So I think that's a pretty good idea. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but three chapters a day, let's say. Three chapters a day. In the Gospels, and you could get through them in about a month. That's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, I've re- I've tried to up my Bible reading right now, mm-hmm. but then I get down in the weeds of like what some Greek Hebrew word says or Greek or mm-hmm. whatever like that, and then yeah, deep, you know. And I'm and I'm still a neophyte, but you know, it's the best time you'll ever spend. Futurians, mm-hmm. it's the, 
I know you agree with me in mm-hmm. that. Sure. It it is for all the kind of crazy stuff TV. we read. I know <laughs> TV's awfully good. That and was sarcasm, by the way, folks. Yeah, in case I remember a TV guide commercial where they said TV is getting smarter. Uh huh. Yeah, it tells more uh, about TV guide than it does yeah. anything. Hey, can I share with you this email that I hadn't planned to read, but yeah, okay. When you made the comment, uh, th- this is uh, this is one. It comes back just just hopped in our in basket. This is from Diane in California. Mm-hmm. Hi guys, I just love you both and love your show. You are not too sarcastic, just right. Dr. Future, you sound like such a kind and humble guy. Tom, you are funny and entertaining. Well, you both are. You compliment each other beautifully. Thanks for your show. It's definitely one of my favorite podcasts. Oh, great. There you so, go. So, how was that for a pat on the back? Yeah, we needed those every once in a while. Yeah, I know. To counteract all those other emails we get. I, actually, I was reprimanded, and I meant to print these up before we did our show today. Mm-hmm. We were reprimanded that, you know, we do say, or Merv says, that we'll read them every week. And we haven't done that and in months. we don't even hardly get any news stories, you know, through the Well, we want, maybe so. we need to have, like, a show or a week or two where we just sort of catch up on this stuff. Mm-hmm. Things are happening so fast. Well, I think so we'll do that in a few weeks. I think yeah. we'll do that. Okay. But, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I do, in, in interest of full disclosure, I have to tell you that if you do send things that criticize us an email, we forward those to the Department of Homeland Security. So they are compiling a list. <laughs> Yeah, so, they just go into our file. So, you know, it is something useful. At least you're acknowledged, but it's by yeah. the authorities yeah. when you do. There is acknowledgement, but it's usually by a big truck backing up into your driveway. Yeah. We're, e- all, all your emails are very, very useful to us, and we probably need to jump in the in the news stories. Okay. Can I ask your opinion about a current event? Okay. To see what's going on, because I have some stories related to it since mm-hmm. it's such a big deal, I think. What do you think about the uh, Divine Destiny meeting this past weekend with uh, Glenn Beck? First of all, were you there? No. Okay. I don't know. Everybody tells me. Everybody. Well, one person told me who followed it. It's like the most inspiring speech I've ever read. Like somebody you know real well and respect their opinion. Well, somebody I know real well. Okay. I don't know about the last part. Okay. But uh, yeah, I mean, a whole bunch of people showed up, but this whole idea of of a divine destiny, where I, I mean, I, I I'm just. I'm sort of flabbergasted, mystified exactly as to what he's talking about, you know. I guess that's where I come from. Um, I could be wrong, and he could be a very sincere guy, and mm-hmm. I will apologize for it saying this publicly. It just seems to me to be like a very, never mind, I'll, I'll, sorry. No, you interject. But he just seems like the consummate snake oil salesman, mm-hmm. or like Elmer Gantry kind of guy that's dealing purely on emotions, and, and it's this endless stream of feel-good words, like charity. Hope and these other things that he went back and looked, you know, yeah. in an old Bible and I've found always, those words. I've always felt, me personally, I've always felt very disconcerted when I have millions and millions and millions of Christians watching a show by a guy who says, I want the truth, and he, by all accounts, hasn't appeared to bother to dig into the background of somebody like, say, Joseph Smith. You Good know? point. Um, Good point. I, I think that's very... I think that's something that that we should we as Christians should think more about. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, I have some stories related to this, and right. I know I've been kicking religious leaders in our country a lot, and I don't mean to. It's not all the stories I have, but it'll probably be the only ones I get to. Oh well. To be honest with you, but I, I sort of feel like Clara Peller. I don't know if you remember her, but she was the one on the Wendy's commercials that used to yell, "Where's the beef?" Oh yeah. And that's what I wonder about this stuff he's been doing. All these people are just inspir, you know, have inspiration and tears. Yeah. And, but what is he actually telling you to do? 
what is the get riled up? What is the ideology or or, or sentimental? Yeah, it's like let's get so riled soccer, up. But yeah. but what I mean, other than just uh, feel good nouns, what what are the you know plan of action? What is the the uh, you know? And, and I just I see people rounding up behind it, but I really really concerned. Sure. And again, he may be sincere, and I may be off base, but well, I have a feeling. I really have a feeling. And some other stories I'm gonna read here, that the American evangelical community is now at a crossroads. Mm-hmm. And it's gonna take the wrong turn. Uh, I'm afraid the bulk of the leadership's gonna take the broad path. Yep. And I don't mean that egotistically. I just have this real feeling in my gut. Sure. That that's that's what's happening. That we're um, you look at Germany, and you look at there was the you know a large part of the German church mm-hmm. took that same path, yep. you know, big into nationalism, thirty eight hundred of them, big into a good feeling that made them feel good. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking we're at that path right now, yep. and we may see the leaders that are putting together something that has a bunch of like really good sounding words, but no content. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, just one more quick comment, and I'll and I'll let mm-hmm. you get into to a story. Um, it's always, uh, Mr. Beck has always tended to sell himself as a libertarian, uh, but I've, I've felt weird about the fact that he says that he's a libertarian but supports incredibly big government ideals mm-hmm. uh, at key points. Yeah. Um, I'll give you three quick examples mm-hmm. and let you get to the story. One would be the bailout. He was against right. it, and then all of a sudden he was for it. Banker bailout. Yeah. Uh, he's always been against Ron Paul. Exactly. Um, uh, he was uh, he's actually for a VAT tax, a value added tax, mm-hmm, which right. is about as unlibertarian as you can get. That's true. And uh, he's always said he's very libertarian, but tends to but but supported John McCain as his guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are there's four examples there mm-hmm. um, where I think that there's bravo. Yeah, uh, the words don't match the deeds. You took my thunder, but those are exactly the examples I would have used, and I think it's. Excellent point. Mm-hmm. People forget stuff like that. You yeah. know, if it's something that happened more than two or three months ago, they've forgotten. People don't remember the things that were said during the presidential debates anymore. Sure. The positions that people like Mike Huckabee and others took. And, you know, when he talked about sending uh, the Iranians to the gates of hell, you yeah. know, it was a bad. People, they forget about that. Sure. You know, what? I don't remember that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because... I just think this weekend stepped it up a huge notch, and evangelicals well, are going to have to start making sorry. And and from the stories I have, I have, some, I have a very interesting story about that. But okay. go ahead. Okay. You yeah. want to start with it? No, no, no. Go. You go ahead. You sure? Yeah. Okay. I, I went first last week. Well, I don't know. I think I, I think you offered me to go first, but they're saying just get on with it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, here we go. Uh, this is from Media Matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, says, what we know about Beck's Black Robe Regiment. Uh, this weekend, Glenn Beck announced the recreation of a revolutionary force called the Black Robe Regiment. At his Restoring Honor rally on Saturday, Beck claimed that, quote, our churches have fallen asleep and that, quote, the thousands of clergy in the regiment who subscribe to his particular views on the role of religion in American life will, quote, start at the heart of this nation again and put it where it belongs, our heart with God. On his radio show this morning, Beck delved into the little, a little more detail about how the group was formed and who exactly some of these members of the regiment are. Apparently, the idea began with Beck's favorite historian, David Barton. When Beck told Barton he wanted to, quote, get religious leaders together, Barton suggested forming a black robe regiment, named after what Barton had said was a group of preachers who supported the American Revolution from their pulpits. 
Beck decided that was exactly what he was looking for because it was a movement supposedly like his that was not about politics. Beck then described his first meeting he held with, quote, the largest evangelical leaders in the country, some of whom had been involved in the Christian coalition. Beck explained that at first the leaders he was recruiting were very skeptical, as David Barton told him, because uh, of Beck's faith. <laughs> well, that's an understatement. I continue. Mm-hmm. When Beck uh, spoke to these skeptical leaders, he apparently told them that, quote, we're about to lose our country and we need to teach the correct principles of liberty and freedom, and it has nothing to do with politics. He also warned that we're all going to lose our religious freedom if we don't stand together. This apparently swayed televangelist James Robison, a former guest on Beck's radio show who Beck claims pounded the table and said, I can testify that the things that this man says are true because I felt them too. However, Beck explains that others were still wary of Beck's initiative and were concerned that if they joined him, they would, quote, lose half their congregation. But then focus on the families, James Dobson came to Beck's defense. According to Beck, Dobson looked Beck right in the eye and he said, I will start tomorrow. Thus, Beck's Black Robe Regiment was formed. Later in the show, Black Beck elaborated on his call to, quote, mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, calling on his listeners to tithe 10% and encourage them to sacrifice our fortunes so our children don't have to pay for our lifestyle. Beck implored his listeners, you must tithe because these people, the Black Robe Regiment, are going to be in trouble. They are going to come under attack. Beck then emphasized the urgency of the support needed by the regiment with some of the loaded biblical imagery. He suggested uh, that, quote, the media hasn't noticed the leaders quite yet quite honestly because the adversary hasn't noticed them yet. While Beck does not make it clear who the adversary is, the word is closely associated with Satan. Various dictionaries note that the adversary is amongst these definitions. The term also appeared in Milton's Paradise. Uh, okay. In addition, the Church of Latter-day Saints describes Satan as the adversary of the devil. Building on this notion, Beck warned that the great thing is darkness does not understand light and has no idea where we're headed. But once it does, the very gates of hell are going to open up. <laughs> I just don't even know where to start with that. We've got all these people that have supposedly been carrying the torch of Christianity, and they've all lined up right behind. Yeah, all, they've all lined up right behind. Uh, uh, somebody who says he wants the truth but doesn't even bother to look at the background of Joseph Smith. What a Brigham Young. What a chronic liar he was. How mm-hmm. he was known as a young person to make fanciful stories. Sure. Yeah. How none. You never of, see him cover the uh, the the mountain massacre. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Never heard much from there. No, you mean Beck doesn't bring that up? No, I'm surprised. Or the fact that nothing that they've ever claimed in the Book of Mormon was found. Yeah. Or, or the spirits that said that he said came to him and told him all of this truth and that the Bible was wrong, mm-hmm. or that every single resident of Palmyra, New York, uh, signed a signed a letter saying that uh, Joseph Smith was a chronic liar and a uh, uh, criminal. Yeah, and that she should not be trusted. We need to get Ed Decker on. Ed Decker knows a lot about this kind of stuff. He'd be can cool. talk about it. Yeah. Of course, you can go read uh, Cult America, sure. Mitch Horowitz. Yeah, seen right out of the Burndover district. Yeah, there's a great book called Under the Gates of Heaven. Mm. Um, I read um, by John. I might have the title wrong, but it's a John Krakauer book. Mm-hmm. Who uh, he he goes through some of that stuff. Uh, I guess the people, some of the families, uh, descendants of the people who died in the Mount, Mountain Massacre, Mountain Meadows Massacre, there yeah. are still angry 
you know, because they still have... Because they were massacred. Because they were massacred and nobody yeah. bothered to do anything about yeah. it. Sort of like our guest last week. Yes. What you so, got story-wise? Um, Britain. Terrorists use quote-unquote conspiracy theories in an attempt to discredit government and recruit new members. Well, isn't that the definition of criminals and terrorists? Um, We've been called terrorists. You look in the Department of Homeland Security report. Sure. And and I guess my comment would be, it seems to me like too many people are figuring out different aspects of the scam. Um, mm-hmm. And what started, what I've noticed in the last, really in earnest in the last two months, is there's this sort of the bloggers are with Al-Qaeda sort of mem that's mm-hmm. going out. And, I mean, it sounds foolish at this point, but... This Internet was a Pandora's box they opened up, yeah, wasn't this it? Yeah, this is, I think this is like likely the setup phase. Mm-hmm. There's going to be some terrible incident, mm-hmm. and then it's going to be like, it's suddenly going to turn deadly serious, and then they're going to, A, crank the Internet off, and B, arrest all the bloggers. Mm-hmm. Because the bloggers, after all, are with Al-Qaeda. We predicted it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so, yeah, anyway, this is via the BBC. Okay. Secrecy surrounding counterterrorism operations is fueling mistrust of authorities, a study by independent think tank Demos suggests. It urges the government and secret services to be more open to stop extremist groups using conspiracy theories to discredit them. A Demos spokesman said, less secret services could make Britain safer. The study calls for greater communication with trusted community leaders and individuals. The the report, entitled The Power of Unreason, says groups use conspiracy theories to recruit and radicalize people to commit acts of violence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. There's a lot I could say about that. Yeah, you know, when I read Constance Cumbie's blog, I just think about going out and doing violence. Yeah, well, uh, I mean... Or Voice of the Martyrs, same way. Yeah, well, you know, quick review... Uh, you know, every single uh, every single terrorist that I can think of that's been prosecuted or group mm-hmm. or ring that's been broken up has had an FBI informant behind it egging the whole thing on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, an example of one such theory is that the bombings in New York and London on 11 September 2001 and 7 July 2005, respectively, were inside jobs carried out by the authorities in the U.S. and U.K. Other theories highlighted... Uh, were that Freemasons control the world economy through manipulation of paper currency, that the U.K. government is consciously seeking to destroy Islam, and that a conspiracy between the Japanese government, the U.S., and the Jews existed to gain world domination. The last one is a new one. That was an interesting one, yeah. yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm wondering, because this is Britain, that this may be something that, that comes out of a Islamic... Yeah. Islamic sort of a mindset. Yeah. The study claims such theories are frequently adopted by extremist groups to demonize outsiders, discredit moderates, and push them in a more extreme and sometimes violent direction. The report's authors made a number of recommendations concerning the counterterrorism work carried out by MI5, MI6, and GCHQ and the government. Um, uh, the publication of all National Security Council annual reports included outlining the risks to national security and the current terrorist threat uh, was among their suggestions aimed at improving transparency. They also called for increased openness in terrorism trials through reporting court proceedings and transcripts and for the provision of more information about policing around counterterrorism. However, the study did acknowledge that there were limits to what the government could do to restore trust and urge society as a whole to do more to counter the conspiracy theorists. One way in which this could be done is by helping young people to think more critically, it said. It recommended lessons on conspiracy theories and online sources like blogs, 
uh, Wikipedia and newspapers for secondary school students that focused on digital literacy, literacy and counter knowledge. Counter knowledge. Yep. Is that what you call lies? Um, That's what is that the old-fashioned definition for counter knowledge? I think that might be. Okay. That could be one definition. Yeah, I'm I'm going to use that definition instead of saying I lied about something. I counter knowledge. <laughs> I had some counter knowledge. <laughs> yeah. Well, everybody knows that uh, you know, more more needs to be done in schools to teach young people digital literacy, such as being taught to tell the difference between propaganda and honest and accurate reporting, argues the think tank. That may be the most honest thing at the, in this whole that, news story. That made me think of that press release from Liberty that they when it said the facts were self-contradictory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm still working on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I just I read these things and it's like somebody made it up. Well, you, you know, know they, you know what they're saying. They'll buy that. They're yeah. stupid out there. Yeah, that's exactly what they're yeah. saying. Yeah. Jamie Bartlett, an extremist extremism expert at Demo, said, "The more open the government is, the harder it is for extremist groups to make stories out of silence. Uh, clearly, there are occasions when tran- more transparency is not possible for reasons of national security or uh, international graft, the safety of certain individuals, or so- resource constraints." But the degree to which conspiracy theories make up part of the extremist mindset and worldview suggests it needs to be confronted. Mm-hmm. He said such theories destroy the trust that exists between the government and communi- communities, which is the basis of effective counterterrorism work. Yeah, we wouldn't want to destroy that trust between them, <laughs> you know, a la Revelation 18. Yeah. You know. yeah. But, you know, aren't they already said they had... Uh, Military people going in the blog spreading disinformation. Yeah, that was us. one of the stories. Seems I like they're addressing yeah. that already. Well, it came. Well, and, and that's and that's the thing. I mean, that story actually came from their handbook that they teach yeah. at their Cointel University. So, so they want their lies to be believed. Yeah, not the other ones. No, counter knowledge. Counter knowledge. Counter knowledge. Well, can I can I share with you a little bit more on that mm-hmm. vein here? Mm-hmm. I, I go back to my uh, controversial uh, inward look kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard Land, haven't mentioned him today. You know, he's gone past David Rockefeller lately and, and mentioned by me. Yeah. Uh, Richard Land, uh, from the Southern Baptist Convention calls Mormonism the fourth Abrahamic faith. While SBC, Southern Baptist Convention calls it a cult. How is that, how is that guy still? Well, <laughs> let me read this. Yesterday, uh, this is the person uh, who wrote this. I just cut off his name here. Yesterday, I wrote a post highlighting a recent column by Russell Moore, Dean of the School of Theology and Senior Vice President of Academic Administration at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, in which he blasted the idea that evangelical Christians could support a Mormon like Glenn Beck, as he mm-hmm. called the nation to revival. Sure, that's totally For obvious. spiritual guidance, is yeah. what he's saying. Yeah. Moore called it a scandal, and shortly after it appeared, Al Mohler, President of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, tweeted his support for Moore's article, which got me wondering about Richard Land. This is the writer saying, President of the Southern Baptist Convention's Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, because I know that Land has been among those closely working with Beck in recent weeks. Mm -hmm. A few weeks before organizing a massive rally on the mall that had the feel of a religious revival, this is out of the Washington Post article that I have. Mm -hmm. This This is Land talking. Glenn Beck sought the blessing of some of the country's most prominent conservative Christian leaders. The Fox talk show host wanted their supporters. He shifted from political commentary to a more spiritual message. He told the group of about 20. This is where God is leading me, Beck declared, according to Richard Land of the Southern Baptist Convention, who was there, along with focus on the family founder, James Dobson. Land said most in the group found Beck's faith genuine and heartfelt, although not everyone... (laughs) 
Uh, although you could say the same thing about like Anton Lavey. That's right. His is heartfelt too. From what's hardest there, uh, he says. Although not everyone agreed to embrace him publicly, uh, he says. Lance says we walked back in the hotel after and and said that was extraordinary. Lance said of his conversation with Dobson after the dinner in Manhattan, I've never heard a cultural figure of that popularity talking that overtly about his faith. He sounded like Billy Graham. It's Richard Land's version. This is um I, I don't I almost feel like dirty just listening to this. Well, today Land he's right here in our hometown. He has a regular show. I mean he has, he dwarfs our number of listeners of people mm-hmm. seeking him for spiritual advice. Land sat down with NPR's Robert Siegel and disputed Beck's claims that Obama's Christian faith is unrecognizable, while also claiming that although Mormonism is not a Christian religion, it is an Abrahamic faith. Uh, Siegel says, and this is from the interview, Siegel says, Glenn Beck is a Mormon. Is that brand of Christianity as distant or more so from yours than the National Council of Churches, mainline Protestantism, you? And he says, probably more so. More so. Dr. Lance says, and look, Glenn Glenn knows this. He said, look, I'm a Mormon. Most Christians don't think I'm a Christian. And so, you know, I'll quote the Pope when he's talking about liberation theology. I do not think Mormonism is an orthodox Christian faith with a small O. Uh, I think perhaps the most charitable way is for evangelical to look at Mormonism is to look at Mormonism as a fourth Abrahamic faith, not a Christian faith. Dr. Lance says, no, not a Christian faith. Uh, so, uh, he says, it's pretty amazing that land would place Mormonism on par with Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, especially considering that Southern Baptist Convention's North American Mission Board calls Mormonism a cult. I don't, I feel like I gotta go take a bath or something after hearing that. It's, it's getting stranger and stranger. I I don't even know, I, I mean, I know what to make of it. I know exactly I, I think I have a pretty good handle on exactly what's going on, but that is just so sad and disheartening. Now, th- I, I I can't even. These kind of leaders you're talking about are the people who have the overwhelming amount of income coming in from the Christian community mm-hmm. to support their ministries of teaching, yes. uh, their their worldview kind of teaching. Mm-hmm. They have all the support, all the infrastructure support, all the main speaking engagements. And they're rallying behind Glenn Beck as a spiritual leader for our country. Mm-hmm. Correct. So what does that say about us? Uh, I think it says that uh, we lack some discernment. Yeah. You know, somebody who doesn't is Merv, who can tell you how to contact us at FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay. That's just so sad. It is. I mean, that's just really sad. Sorry to end on that. We've got about 10 seconds or so. Anything you want to... I don't know. I don't think crying on the air is appropriate. Okay. Pray for your nation and your church in America. Pray for us for wisdom and for yourself Mm -hmm. and everybody else. Come back for our interesting interview tomorrow. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye.
Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom, once again folded into 10 to the minus 64. Bionic. Uh, dimensions? Yes. Okay. That the upper six, anyway. is a reference to the kind of offhand comments we have from our very preeminent guest that we have this mm-hmm. week. Uh, someone who is uh, very popular with a lot of our listening audience and is going to lead to a very intriguing show today. We have the one, the only, Dr. Chuck Missler with us this week, who is the founder of Poinonia House, Mm -hmm. uh, who has reached untold numbers of people with their Bible study material, probably more than anyone else in the world. And he's the co-author with his wife, Nancy, of the book, The Kingdom, Power, and Glory, The Mm -hmm. Overcomer's Handbook, a very controversial book that only someone sort of forward-thinking like a Chuck Missler would dare release. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be something that you're going to have to make your own decisions on, study the Word. And, in fact, he encourages in his book to take his provocative ideas and, think and look at the them. Word. Because we're going to be talking about the uh, challenges in, of living an overcoming life and the rewards and, and the um, penalties of not living an overcoming life. You know, he makes an interesting comment. He says, I wish everybody would take this and just challenge themselves and use it to stimulate their own thinking. But, some, but a lot of times that doesn't happen. Particularly on Future Quake. That's yeah. one thing we never do is really have new thinking. <laughs> no, and he wasn't talking about us. He, I think he was just talking about right. at writ large. But I thought that was interesting. Um, the Christian church largely is afraid to think. Mm-hmm. They're scared of that. They're afraid if you think, then you'll probably end up being heretical. Mm-hmm. Like thinking is, is anti-Jesus. Yeah. Or, I mean, just go go read a book like... Go read a book on hermeneutics or something, how to study mm-hmm. the Bible. or you know, And then go read the Bible. And then go read the Bible. Go read the Bible. Read for yourself. But I'll tell you what this will be. This will be an exercise of taking scriptures, as we mentioned later in the in the discussion, mm-hmm. and not sweeping them under the rug. Mm-hmm. And when it says, if you overcome, then you'll get this and this and this. And you don't just say that real quiet and say, okay, next verse. Yeah, next verse. What what uh, Brother Chuck says is, well, what if what if Christ really meant that, what he said? Then what does it mean? Mm-hmm. Now, you may arrive at a little different conclusion on some of the matters than than Pastor Chuck, but so be it. The fact is, the thing that's important is to not sweep these verses under the rug. And how many times we've talked about Genesis chapter 6, we've talked about all these other passages in the Bible. If I hear about Genesis chapter 6 again, my head's going to explode. Okay, I won't bring it up. But uh, uh, there are so many of these issues that a lot of us who've grown up in church have heard uh, just briefly skim through in mm-hmm. Bible reading, and no one stops and asks the obvious questions. Yeah. This is a book that asks some of the obvious questions. It's fascinating to see how the mind of Chuck Missler and his wife Nancy work to try to come up with a coherent structure to explain it. Mm-hmm. And actually, uh, it actually charts a sort of a, a road that can actually unify some very divergent mm-hmm. belief systems in the in the body of Christ that have, that have been missed. And I believe in the last days that the Lord will probably show more things um, that will be able to take truly Bible-believing pe- people that are on different sides of the fence and inspire them on ways to be unified. Yeah. Well, Maybe in time to be 
persecuted, but yeah. it unified nevertheless. So, <laughs> uh, we need to go on to our interview with Dr. Chuck Nistler, founder of Quinonia House, talking about uh, his new book, along with his wife Nancy, The Kingdom, The Power, and The Glory, The Overcomer's Handbook, and the challenges that he uh, proposes for us about living an overcoming life and the rewards uh, to be gained from it. And then we'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom, a uh, big fan of our guest here. Mm-hmm. Listen to, I got a whole bunch of us. I think I've got nearly everything that he's put out at one point as far as his audio commentaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, bionic. That's one of your longer middle names yeah. lately. A lot it's of true. punctuation it's true. in it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be back with you this week for a, a, another very interesting and thought provoking Future Quake show. Uh, and we will not disappoint you this week. We'll have a gentleman who will. Uh, uh, has, has a reputation for taxing and challenging you to greater depth in your Christian walk, and this week will be no exception. We are going to talk with the one and only Dr. Chuck Missler, the founder of Koinonia House, and the co-author with his wife of the book The Kingdom, Power, and Glory. And we're going to talk about the challenging message for the overking, overcomers in God's kingdom. And I just want to tell you, Dr. Missler, it is a pleasure to have you back on the Future Quake show after almost an exact two-year absence from our show. Well, I appreciate being with you. I, I truly do respect your unique ministry, and I'm flattered to be part of the action, and I'm glad to be back. Nice to, have, nice to be here. Well, I appreciate that so much, and I think unique is probably one of the kindest words used about our ministry, isn't it, Tom? I, yeah, I think most of the time, well, we're we on the upswing with, with unique. <laughs> uh I, I know we've got a lot to talk about, and your time is extremely valuable, so uh, we're going to resist the urge to go down a lot of rabbit trails. We'd like to go with you and focus on our topic at hand. Uh, in addition to your status as the founder of Koinonia House, of which I would have to admit probably most of our listeners are intimately familiar with based mm-hmm. upon the emails we get uh, and the impact you've had in their uh, spiritual walk, can you share with our audience a, a very brief summary of your activities in the Lord's work uh, that you've been involved with over the history of your ministry and the scope and reach of the Quinonia organization right now? Oh, wow, the way you phrase the question is pretty broad. Uh, I think uh, I come from a high-tech background. My, my professional specialization is information sciences, but obviously I had a Bible, biblical interest since I was a teenager, and obviously uh, uh, I won't get into all of that. The one thing, though, that is worth mentioning to get a little more specific, uh, obviously, Cornea House is a publishing ministry that we've been at for almost four decades. Uh, but the, what we've done in the last few years, that we, the Lord has led us into something that is very unique, distinctive, and is probably our primary focus these days, and that is a think tank. We call it Koinonia Institute, and uh, it's a volunteer uh, organization on the Internet, and uh, we have thousands of people taking courses uh, in virtual classrooms, learning the Bible, and uh, it's, uh, 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 it, it's, it's distinctive because it's not only the, 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 the biblical studies are the primary foundation. We call that the Berean Avenue of Study. But what makes us distinctive is a parallel avenue of study, which we call, for lack of another label, uh, the Issachar path, which is after the sons of Issachar, Chronicles mm-hmm. uh, 12 through 2, uh, that they, they understood the times and knew what the country had to do. And that's really a focus on prophecy and stewardship. And we've discovered that the tools and resources in those two avenues of study are almost antithetical. 
In the biblical side, of course, we know it's true. The challenge is to understand it. In the other side, the, time, the signs of the times kind of thing, the real you know the information you have is, is corrupted, uh, has a bias. Uh, your challenge is to find out what is really true. But the point is, those two things, we, we have a third leg on the uh, stool, which we call the coin on the track. That's the practical doing. The whole mm-hmm. enterprise is, or, is committed to uh, training what we uh, uh, ambassadors for Christ, and not necessarily pastors, uh, but uh, people who are called, and whatever their calling is, uh, we help them try to identify what it is, and then help them prepare for it, whatever it might be. And uh, on that, that, with that flavor, we have now members in 62 countries, and growing. And what we think is going on, what we think the Lord is doing through all of this. Uh, it's very much, we feel, very spirit-led with all the details and, and very peculiar administrative aspects. But the point is, we think we're uh, uh, engaged in training the leadership for the underground church. We think mm-hmm. that, be- that a true biblical Christian is going to increasingly be uh, politically incorrect. In fact, J. Vernon McGee, of all people, predicted all that, of course, but he also made an interesting remark. He says the attack against them will come from the denominational churches. And that surprised mm-hmm. me when I first heard that uh, a couple of decades right. ago, but I, I, I think uh, yeah, I can understand what uh, what those dynamics are. So anyway, we often get misunderstood that, gee, we're anti-church. Not at all. We are clearly admonished to not, not to forsake the assembling together, sure. but what we are, what churches are discovering us as a source of curricula um, uh, and uh, we're partnering with churches uh, to to move Bible studies to a to a, a, a next level, a little more depth. And uh, so we're we're discovering, uh, we're encouraged to discover that um, our materials that are available on the internet are regarded as being a notch ahead in terms mm-hmm. of uh, the depth. And uh, there are several universities that will accept our trans. All this is done with diligent uh, transcripts. So there are universities that will accept a transcript uh, for half of the content, all the way up to uh, PhD. We've actually really? got, there's been uh, half a dozen PhDs graduated, in which half of their credits were from the institute. So hmm. th- this is probably the most exciting thing we've done, and it's uh, getting embraced worldwide. So that's hmm. that's kind of fun. We have. Uh, I could go on and on about this, right. but you really want to get back to the topics at hand. Well, with this kind of broad reach, I hope you have your prerequisite of Nicolaitan leadership. Uh, in there, <laughs> really wouldn't be respectful well, if you didn't have some archbishops or most reverent something there up no, in the no, chain. Not, it, 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 actually, actually, it's a very self-governing entity. That's what makes it so much fun. Yeah. Huh. Okay. And I will start on that because uh, you, you we'll, we'll burn up your time here. You got okay. you got a, you got your own budget of, of interest here. So well, we've got a book here. It. Simply, we have two websites. So we have a separate website for the campus. Uh, you know, khouse.org is well known to your listeners probably, but there's a second website called studycenter.com that is the campus and how it works and all that is explained. You can download the handbook which explains it all if somebody's interested. But let's, we'll get on to your subject better. Okay. And they can find out about the sports teams and other kind of things affiliated with the yeah. campus at <laughs> K-House. And the Frisbee golf. Uh-huh. No rugby, okay. No rugby to my knowledge. But You're not division one okay. or anything like that on the foot, college football or anything. Hey, uh, the new the new book you've written with your wife Nancy, "The Kingdom, Power, and Glory: The Overcomer's Handbook," has caused quite a stir and controversy, even amongst some rank and file in the evangelical community, and therefore it made it. Well, proud. Tim LaHaye points out. Yeah, Tim LaHaye points out that's good news. If it's controversial, that sells books. But go ahead. Okay. Well, it makes it prime future quake subject matter uh, by that criteria, and frankly, we have been trying to get through your uh, your handlers to get you arranged here on our show all summer. 
Uh, you're, you're oh my goodness! I, you're I, sort of like Louis Farrakhan. You have your nation of Imla, no, no, Islam. No, no, our handlers, our handlers, as you call them, have been primed that you have preemptive access because uh, uh, we think very highly of your ministry. So, I'm, yeah. I'm, but I think my travel schedule has been. I think the only term I can say is bizarre, because well, we're, we're 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 as I say we're in 62 countries with our institute, and that, that yeah. has consequences. But go well, ahead. What we, you, we go had forward. requested that they cancel those trips, but they they wouldn't they do our wishes. Them, yeah. But uh, now that we've got you here to talk about this, um, can we begin <laughs> by having you give a very brief synopsis of the very basic premise of this book, and then what we're going to do is try to ask you the questions that we think our average intelligent Futurian listener, when they read your book and get it, the kind of questions they're going to want to ask. We want to hear directly from sure. you follow-up. So just start with a basic premise of the overall in a, in a very brief summary. Okay. Well, the kingdom, power, and glory, we obviously, everyone's familiar with the Lord's Prayer, and we're instructed to pray, Thy kingdom come. And uh, But it's my premise that probably one Christian in ten knows what the kingdom is. In other words, that's a term that people, it's kind of fuzzy, because uh, the kingdom the kingdom of God is everything. Uh, what's the, what, thy kingdom come, what does it really mean? And it turns out that um, there, there are a, a, a large number of people that are really confused on that topic. So that's what we really zeroed in on. And some of this was uh, motivated by some exegetical discoveries, frankly. I'm on the review board for the International Standard Version Bible, and some of those discussions, what emerged is a, 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 an insight that, frankly, really caused me to reemphasize. A lot of the research behind this was done by my wife, but as I discovered this other thing I'm going to get to, uh, that's now, when I really became more engaged with it. And that is Brother Chuck, um, aren't, you, aren't you too old to be finding out anything new out of the Bible? Aren't you I, at never, age? Never. That's a life. No, I, I believe. I believe we're going to spend an eternity learning just what it cost him for us to be there, and that's a whole other. You just open another avenue of step. But let me get back to the the question. Uh, Matthew, we discover, uses a phrase that only he uses. He speaks of the kingdom of heaven, and uh, Mark, Luke, and John use the term kingdom of God. And in many, many passages. When you look at them, they seem exactly identical, except for that use of phrase. Uh, uh, and uh, you pick up many commentator, commentators, and they just say, well, Matthew chose his particular phrase, kingdom of heaven, because it's more Jewish or something. And, uh, and most commentators, expositional commentators, see those as equivalent. And one of the startling things I began to realize is they're not. And uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, see, when you say kingdom of heaven, you tend to assume that that's a genitive of apposition, meaning that they're roughly equivalent. Um, it's not. It's a genitive of source. Let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, if I tell you that I'm Chuck from I, I'm Chuck of Coeur Idaho, that's it, that I'm using a genitive of source. I'm, you, you know where I'm from. In German, uh, if I say I'm Otto from Habsburg, I'm, my name is Otto, and I'm from the region of Habsburg, Hops, right. uh, that becomes my name in German. It turns out the word of in both German and Hebrew, is exactly the same as from. And it turns out that if you translate kingdom of heaven more correctly, it would be kingdom from heaven, the ambiguity disappears. Clearly, the kingdom of God that uh, Mark, Luke, and John use is an all-embracing term of everything outside God himself. It includes angels that were created well before the earth and so on. Uh, everything outside God, in, in, everything God created is in his kingdom, obviously. The term kingdom from heaven, though, is within that, but it's a more definitive piece. In fact, in Daniel chapter 2, we have a list of five kingdoms. 
we have the gold, silver, gold, most your listeners are familiar with it. We overlook the fact that there's a fifth in that list of five that destroys the previous ones and is set up on the earth with a king and with a, with a capital and with the people. In other words, it's a kingdom in the sense of the previous four, if you follow me. So it turns out what all this emphasizes is that uh, the, our Messiah's destiny is to rule for a thousand years on the earth. Now, this gets complicated because many churches treat that passage in Revelation 20 as metaphorical. But they overlook the fact that what it actually is is a fulfillment of one of the four unconditional covenants in the Bible. There are four Abrahamic covenant, of course. We all are familiar with that, and every benefit we have, even as Gentiles, derives from that covenant, strangely enough. And uh, that's under attack by the world. The second unconditional covenant is the land covenant, and uh, 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 Genesis 15 and 17 and so on. And that, of course, is under attack especially by Islam. The third of the four, and of course the fourth unconditional covenant is the one from which the New Testament gets its name, from Jeremiah 31, 31. But it's that third covenant, the Davidic covenant, that's unconditional. And it's astonishing to discover how much the Bible focuses on the fulfillment of that unconditional covenant. It starts in 2 Samuel 7, and you see many churches who watch Old Testament stuff, and it's been superseded. No, no, when Gabriel talked to Mary, uh, describing, uh, announcing the uh, denunciation, as we call it, uh, in Luke chapter 1, verse 32, he points out that her child will sit on the throne of David. That's a very strange phrase because it didn't exist during the Roman Empire. Roman, the Romans ran things in those days. And it's not just there. Uh, in fact, the, the pivotal event in the book of Acts, the, in the Council of Jerusalem, Acts 15, uh, there's, there's two big questions confronting that council. The first is the obvious one, what does a Gentile have to do to become saved? That was one of the issues. But there's another lurking issue that underscores all of that. And if a Gentile doesn't have to become a Jewish to become, become saved, what's to become of Israel? And James himself answers that in Acts 15 by quoting from Amos 9, verse 11, in which he talks about how the tabernacle, uh, the uh, tabernacle of David is to be reestablished. That's not the Temple of Solomon. It's a, different, it's a palace, not a temple. It's actually both, but I mean, the emphasis is the kingship issue. So the point is, even Jesus at the Ascension uh, in the first chapter of Acts, uh, decides, are you now going to set up the kingdom? He, he, he says it's not for you to know the timing. He doesn't deny he's going to do it. In fact, he reinforces it. So it turns out there is a subject that um, is controversial in many quarters, but this whole issue of Jesus literally ruling the earth as a king. He, uh, is that, that's exactly the whole point of the second coming, to, to, uh, to, uh, mm -hmm. uh, to straighten out the mess we've made uh, uh, here on the planet Earth. And uh, what puzzles me, and I don't have an answer for this one, is why does it take him a thousand years to get it presentable to the Father? <laughs> you know, yeah. Both Colossians and, and First Corinthians point out that his goal is to put everything under subjection to himself and then to present that all to the Father. What puzzles me is why, why does it take him a thousand years? But well, I think, aside, I think the land would like to have a good Sabbath rest. That's my guess. It's been through well, 6,000 years very of good, abuse. Very good question. Good. I think you're right on track there. I, I, I'm, I, I, that, that resonates with me. But getting back to the issue here, when you want you to discover that Matthew is using a more denotative term when he says the kingdom from heaven and that's the proper translation of that, incidentally, um, then suddenly the confusion evaporates. We, 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 we tend to confuse heaven in some fuzzy, 
uh, hyperdimensional sense on the one hand, with the kingdom from heaven on the earth that Revelation 20 and and most of I, a good part of Isaiah and other passages talk so much about. And so, uh, once you realize that, suddenly then you discover that the Gospel of Matthew zeroes in on the kingship of Christ, which of course is the primary of the four Gospels, that's his primary focus. But in so doing, he focuses on the kingdom from heaven. And as you, so, uh, you know, that, 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 then suddenly, once you realize that, you also begin to realize that many of the parables that he presents have a, a tone or a perspective that's quite different than is commonly taught. But the, the root issue here is, is that they're dealing with, uh, the the um, uh, uh, that that kingdom period, and so uh, they also embody lessons in, in in many other forms of application, perhaps. But that's really their focus. Mm-hmm. But now, what and, I uh, what I other, get what, mm-hmm. okay, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just uh, what what I gather mm-hmm. from this of real importance to our listeners is that what we do every day today has a direct impact in your premise of this book oh, on what we will be doing during that thousand exactly. years. Now, in fact. Now, that leads to something else I think it's worth mentioning. It's anecdotal, but it's relevant here. Um, we discovered that our book was being bought in volumes by Chinese congregations, and that puzzled us. And out of that, we've learned some provocative things. It turns out that in China, English is a required second language for everyone. I didn't realize that. And that Christians in China are seeking uh, Christian materials in English to perfect their English. And they're very heavily influenced by the writings of a Dr. Timothy Lin. He's a very well-known uh, theologian. He's taught in many of our uh, three of our top seminaries in the U.S., but he also was one of the translators of the New American Standard Bible. But he did most of his writing in Mandarin in China, and his writings uh, are heavily influenced there. The Chinese uh, uh, readers are frustrated because they're looking for when you, when they look at his materials translated from the mandarin they they're clumsy they don't they don't quite make it they they've discovered our book seems to them as a paraphrase of dr lin's teaching and that's why they're embracing it and here's the point i'm getting at they have a perspective that i think is extremely provocative they regard themselves in a period that they call the kingdom of uh, preparation and what their their destiny what we call the millennium they call the kingdom of inheritance and they believe that their responsibilities and authorities and whatever in the kingdom of inheritance will derive from their faithfulness and diligence in the kingdom of preparation. That is where they are now. And that's so, that's one of the reasons is once you recognize that in their perspective, you begin to realize why they, they seem to have fallen in love with our particular book, because they regard it as a, as a paraphrase of just that issue. Now, well, they can understand that. More. The, you know, here in here in Laodicea, we, we we're <laughs> we're rich and have need of nothing, and so it's a little harder thinking about preparation because we feel like we've already arrived here in the American church. Uh, whereas, well, yeah, exactly right. They pray for us, and they pray for us. This is interesting. They pray for the American church, and the way they pray for us, they pray for persecution, because mm-hmm. they believe it's going to take persecution to wake us up. To, to, to the realities of what we're facing. Our, our, one, of, uh, one of the uh, uh, key people in the International Standard Version Bible, uh, Dr. William Welty, wrote our foreword in the book very colorfully. That's also offended some people, I guess, because he regards, and we do too, we both regard our book as like a letter to the Laodicean church. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and it obviously is uh, because we're, we're, our, we're really dealing with a call to accountability, that has gotten a lot of people unnerved because they, they, there's 
humankind is aggressively trying to flee accountability. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that has created some problems. And so, uh, but he, uh, uh, but he, he, when we when we started to encounter uh, uh, rea- negative reactions in certain quarters, uh, he made the quip to us. He says, "What did you expect? Mm-hmm. What do you think was the reaction?" of the pastor of the Laodicean church when he received the package from Patmos from John. Right. <laughs> he probably tried to get him uh, excommunicated or something. Yeah, they didn't put and that on the sign out front of the church. Yeah. Come on in this Sunday and read the letter <laughs> we, we got from John. We are have need of nothing. Uh-huh. There, yeah, we are naked in. and blind. Come join us. <laughs> if I could give you just a Well, not only that, Jesus, yeah. Is, yeah, Jesus is standing outside knocking on the door to get in. I mean, of all the that's seven right. letters, seven churches, that's the most indicting one of all. Because it doesn't have an admonition for the church, mm-hmm. it has a call to the individual instead. Right. In other words, the other, all the other, uh, there are seven report yeah. cards in Revelation two and three, and mm-hmm. each one has some good news and some bad news, pretty much. Yeah. And, and the, until you stand, really study the structure, you miss a lot of what's going on. But the point is, is that uh, in all the other letters, there's some some correction, some advice on how to improve and so forth. In the last one, there isn't any of that. Right. It, it is the, the admonition is to the individual. I mean, when yeah. you really realize that, it, it's indicting, and and it it's our view uh, it, that 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 is a description of the era that we're in right now. Is that right. the church itself has lost its moorings? It thinks it's uh, that's the interesting thing about the seven letters. Every one of the churches were surprised. The ones that thought they were doing well were not. The ones that uh, uh, thought they were doing poorly were doing better than they thought. So uh, that should give us all humility because we need to realize that our perspectives may not be the same as our Lord's. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, I exist in ten dimensions. Bionic. (laughs) You know, the listeners are going to get a little taste of that, I think, somewhere towards the end of this interview where... Where uh, Brother Chuck gets into his gets scientist into self, yeah. which is sort of what I enjoy being a scientist myself, mm-hmm. and uh, he can't help but work a little bit of that in with mm-hmm. some questions I ask on the new heavens and new earth. Mm-hmm. And I should have expected that kind of answer. But uh, one thing you're always going to do is have an intellectually stimulating conversation mm-hmm. with Chuck Missler, and one where he does his very best to rightly divide the word of truth. Yeah, I, I can't fault him for the fact that he doesn't just sweep stuff under the rug like you were saying earlier. Right. You right. know. It's, you know, if if Bible believing Christians come to a little bit different opinion on some things like that, the Lord will straighten us out one day. Sure, he, he'll help set it out. Uh, what I find is on several issues, there's people who are truly committed to God's word mm-hmm. that will read certain set of passages and try to come up with an overarching principle. And sometimes they reassemble them a little differently, the mm-hmm. two of them, or they try to understand. Well, here's what was meant when this was said. Mm-hmm. And you know, I truly think the Lord is going to bear with us on that. And he'll help straighten out some of those things. Mm-hmm. At least I know that will happen to me and what I believe. So, mm-hmm. um, and, but that's what we need to encourage. Are, in, are people taking the scripture straight up for what it is and trying to understand it, not not go past it? And and obviously his ministry it, it's touched your life in the past, hasn't it? It was oh, yeah. a big part of your spiritual I'll, growth. My whole my whole bottom row of my uh, bookshelf at home and my in my study there is all Chuck Missler books. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he's covered blue down there. topics that have been controversial, sure. UFOs, mm-hmm. uh, other kind of issues you know, of origins and different yeah. kind of things like this. So no, He's not afraid to lay it out there on something cut off the beaten path. And, and this topic, he's had to lay it out there, too, Yeah, uh, from the evangelicals. Uh, Merv, would you come in and tell our listeners how to contact us at FutureQuake? FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information.
email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. We need to go. All right. Come back for the next segment tomorrow uh, with Dr. Chuck Nessler. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom, 6640, Bionic. Uh-oh, this is another Mistlerism, I guess. Uh-huh. I bet you're deep off the bench on those. Um, not so much on that one. Okay. Well, the reason why you brought that up is that today is the second installment of our interview with Dr. Chuck Missler, mm-hmm. uh, who is the founder of Koinonia House, mm-hmm. uh, and who is the author of a new and very controversial book, along with his wife Nancy, The Kingdom, the Power, and the Glory, The Overcomer's Handbook. Mm-hmm. And we have to go. We've got a fast uh, okay. Let's uh, get in there. segment here, but uh, we'll be right back and discuss it here on Future Quake. Well, Brother Chuck, if you don't mind, because we've got a whole bunch of questions that we want to grill you unmercifully over okay. on your book. And, okay. Uh, okay. But, but I want to give you a reader summary, okay? And you correct me if I'm wrong on what I read, because I'll put it very succinctly. What I read, okay. and, and, and uh, I, I will say that uh, what I find are some of the most surprising and radical discoveries in the Bible today are when people actually read the Bible just for what it says. And when you read it and, and just take it at what it says, you'll find out some amazing things. Um, it, what, what your premise is, as I understood it and read it, is that there is a lot at stake right now regarding our destiny and what we will be doing during the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. Every action, not only the actions we do, but the attitudes we take, uh, whether we do it through the Spirit or whether we do it through our own fleshly efforts, has a direct and substantial impact, not only at the beam of judgment one day, which will be held accountable for what we've done, but including a very critical distinguishing in the kind of position that we will fulfill during the millennial reign of Christ, and that uh, there will be some who will experience a good bit of regret because they took very lightly this opportunity of the training ground that we have right now, sort of the the management training classes that we're taking in this life to be prepared for ruling and reigning with Christ. And and your uh, premise is that a lot of Scripture is really relating to our preparation as we come into God's family to be prepared for the reigning aspect that he expects, at least of those who accept the call. So that's what I took from the book. It was was a very... Well, by the way... Yes, I'm sorry, I was just going to say, it's a very uh, disturbing book in that you immediately feel very, very convicted when you read it. You feel you you feel the wasted effort, and the closest thing I can compare it to Have is that. Have you about that brand new car? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, in fact, yeah. I'll say, and you remember the movie um, um, Schindler's List, that very powerful yeah. scene at the end when when they're going to yeah, spirit exactly. him away. And his response, and this just totally broke my heart, 
when he suddenly realizes that there was a lot more he could have done. There were more Jews he could have saved. He could have gotten rid of his car and saved more Jews. He could have gotten rid of his watch. And suddenly he had the sudden clarity of thought that for all the good he did in his life, it was only a drop in the bucket of what his opportunities presented to him. And, and that's what I thought of when I read this book, is that it is serious business what we do day to day. We we have not gotten I, to get out of jail free pass. I, I, that's music to my ears, because that summary you've just given is exactly what Nan and I had in our hearts as we undertook this project, because um, I often quip that uh, that, that um, uh, uh, I'm going to give a talk tonight about why most Christians are going to be disappointed when they get to heaven. And I do that deliberately to stir people up. And the point being, I think many of us have been mistaught. We tend to presume that just because we're saved, of course we're saved 100% by what Christ did on the cross 2,000 years ago. But just because we're saved um, uh, doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to qualify for all the possibilities that he makes available to us. The other uh, uh, issue here is to realize that there is an aspect of there are some there are some things that we inherit that we can't lose, namely our sonship. The prodigal son uh, lost a blue his inheritance, so to speak, but he never lost a sonship. And and uh, but and we're in that we're in those shoes. But the point is, uh, in uh, the big the discovery for us as part of the book is that in the Old Testament, inheritance could be forfeit. Ask Reuben about that. Mm-hmm. Ask Esau about mm-hmm. that. And in the New Testament also, that there's an aspect, part of inheritance is a reward for faithfulness given by the Father in, in, the, in various contexts. And so the realization that we have an inheritance at risk, that's what Paul is talking about in the last verse of 1 Corinthians 9. I, I uh, hate myself to the objection, lest that after being preached to others, I myself might be disqualified or being cast away. It's an unfortunate translation, but basically what it's saying. He's not, he's not talking about his eternal security. He wrote the book on that. It's called Romans chapter 8. No, he's worried about losing the possi- you know, uh, uh, portions of his inheritance. And so the whole idea that our actions have consequences is a shock to many Christians because we've we've emphasized so much God's mercy. Mm-hmm. We've emphasized so much the, the completeness of Christ's uh, sacrifice on our behalf. And that's all legitimate and that's all right. There's no problem there, except we tend to extrapolate from that and assume that, okay, now that I'm saved, I can put my feet on the desk, get back, and Christ has done it all, and we relax, not realizing that, uh, no, we're, we're still in the boot camp for heaven. We've still, our, our, our and you put it up, the other insight that came in your summary there, mm-hmm. it's not so much what we do, it's our attitudes. Uh, the, the same action by two different people could be evaluated very differently depending on what the real motivations are. And so attitudes is the key. That's all through the scripture. And so I think the, the, the realization that our eternity is going to be impacted by our faithfulness, our, 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 our diligence, our, our, our faithfulness here is, is a shock to many Christians. Well, and, and also I would say what I learned from this is that the the, uh, the the person who makes the deathbed confession, the, the prodigal son who comes back at the end of life, will be greeted with a fatted calf. But at the same time, mm-hmm. the loyal son who's been faithful to Christ and serves his own life will also be greeted with everything his father owns. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I feel yeah. that that parable also shows that while uh, our, our father is merciful 
and he will celebrate uh, whenever someone is, is saved from outside of the kingdom inside. He also is mindful for those who have been faithful to him for the very beginning and will make sure they're properly acknowledged and rewarded because that's God's nature. Not what we deserve, but that, right that's on, just, he has an innate nature to want to uh, over-reward uh, people who he assigns to do his task. I'm all about over-rewarding. Yeah. That sounds good to me. Well, uh, to, <laughs> well, to get into the meat and potatoes what, of this, I'm sorry? Yeah, go ahead. I'm sure there's more controversial areas, so let's go for oh, it. Oh, we've got, got plenty it. of them here. Um, to, to, to flesh this out in your, in your premise on this, you talk about inheritance, and you say there's two kinds of inheritance. Uh, it's being part of the yeah. Christian's life. Can you briefly distinguish the two of those for us? Sure. There's a part of your inheritance you cannot lose. If you're if you are Benihah Elohim, you're a, a born of God, a new creation in God. You can't lose that. You can't undo that. There's if you're born again, there's no way to become unborn. Uh, so that's a that's closely aligned somewhat to the whole concept of eternal security. But there is part of your inheritance that you that is a reward for faithfulness. So if you're not faithful, you're still saved, you're still in the family, but you may not accede to those things which you could have had you been faithful. And there's all kinds of examples of that, of course, all through the Scripture. And uh, and I think the, 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 that's, I think, the shock is that there's that's why there's a Bema seat. Uh, at the Bema seat, uh, everyone there, as I understand it, and I'll, everything I'm saying is, is just my excuse. To this. I'm just communicating what we believe. I'm not saying it's mm-hmm. right. I'm sharing that so people can discover for themselves sure. what they think is right. But the and point you is, say that clearly in your book, too. Yeah. You challenge people yeah, to go into the be- scriptures and challenge them. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we, no matter how much you do that, that's that's often ignored by some people who are right. determined to be critical. But the point is, getting back to the seat, um, everyone there is saved, or they wouldn't be there. And so uh, the question is, and the question is not their works in the traditional sense; it's their fruit bearing. And uh, the the uh, uh, there's some that are going to get. There's five different crowns mentioned. There actually may be twenty. Those are only five listed, or there might be all another different names for the same one. Whatever. The point is, there's crowns involved. There's uh, there, I, I visualize the bema seat. What's being taught there? There's a spectrum, and there there too there'll be people that think they're doing great. They're not. And there's other people that may not realize how powerful their impact has been. And uh, but the point is, I I see that as a spectrum of diversity. Not a, not a sense of equality, well, uh, in, in the sense, and, and uh, that gets to another issue. Uh, this whole issue of the bride of Christ—that that, that's probably one of the, the most the most misunderstood terms in the in the scripture. I think we're going to uh, ask you about because that. I, no, don't worry. Okay. We've got that on the list. Part of the gauntlet. All right. Well, let, but, me, let me defer. Let me let you go. Okay. Let me understand. Let me, the, there, there's yeah. two inheritances people need to be aware of and not confuse them when they read the New Testament. One is an inheritance yeah. I would call by adoption, and another inheritance by reward. And they need to be careful Very to good. distinguish, yeah. too, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're together. We're okay. in track. We're track. Yeah. Now, in, in, in going into the next here of the minutiae, we, we get another fascinating topic. But I, but I want to remind our listeners something I forgot to mention at the beginning, my, my initial thought from this book. What your premise does in emphasizing the teaching of the New Testament on what is at stake and the rewards for those who are faithful, I find is a way to harmonize two camps within the Bible-believing church. Uh, those who emphasize uh, salvation by grace through faith and eternal security, and those who look at the passages and point of tremendous loss and impact of loss if they're not faithful. And it has created an artificial divide where they fought about this inheritance by by adoption as being the battleground between those two sets of verses. 
if I understand you correctly, you have found a third way that you promote that, that actually says both camps are right. There is salvation that's free, grace by faith that's secure, and there's also a cr- critical impact to the Christian's life if they are not faithful as well. So it is, in well, fact, a way to harmonize both communities of the church so they can stand on strong biblical footing and both be right in what they emphasize. Exactly right. That, that, and and I, that, that, that summary is one that resonates 100% with me. Okay. Uh, the next concept, which I find even more interesting, is your um, analysis of the meaning of the term outer darkness in Scripture. Well, that, yeah, that, that's, that's the most widely misunderstood. It turns out that in the Greek, if you're going to say outer darkness, you wouldn't say it the way it's said there. It's, it's a very peculiar construction. It's an, actually an adverbial kind of construction, which causes real translational problems. And all of us have, all of us have seen it in the text, outer darkness, as such. And all of us have a tough time blindfolding our prejudices or presuppositions on that topic. I have to admit, I was the same way. I first learned a lot of this from Jody Dillow's book, Reign of the Servant Kings, many years ago. And I really enjoyed the book, except I stumbled on that very issue. G.H. Uh, Lang probably has the most classic right. uh, 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 exegesis of it. But I, I was shocked to discover in doing research over several years, I began to realize that the really authoritative experts in the language agree that it does not refer, like most of us assume, uh, to a uh, to Hades or, or Sheol or Hell, as we might say. Uh, but it's really a, someone who... Uh, uh, it's to a darkness that's outside. And that's the way it's translated in the International Standard now, by the way. The point is, if you recognize, let's stand back a bit and recognize if you're talking to a, especially a Jewish listener, um, and you're talking about the, the, the temple or the house of God, you can be in the house of God, but not in the presence of the Shekinah. In other words, even the high priest, only once a year, under great ceremony of preparation, was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies. And, and so the point is, there is a, a concept uh, uh, undergirding all of these things that there's levels of access, if you will. And uh, so what it's dealing with there, it, each one of the, it, it shows up in three primary places in the scripture. Each case, what it's dealing with is the wedding feast. Now, uh, the, the other illuminating thing for me was Arnold Fruchtenbaum's insight, uh, don't confuse the wedding the marriage of the lamb, which occurs in the father's house, with the wedding feast, which occurs on the earth when he sets up his kingdom. And uh, one is celebrating the other, but they're not co-located. And once you realize that, suddenly a lot of fog lifts here, because clearly the 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 uh, the, the wedding uh, itself occurs in the father's house, traditionally, if you're using the, you know, the metaphorical model here. Um, but the uh, wedding feast is celebrated in the kingdom because the Old Testament saints are with them. So once you begin to se- separate those things, then the clarity comes because what's dealing, what it's dealing with are people in the kingdom who are in the kingdom, first of all, that's in, in, significant, but they're not entitled to be at the wedding feast. And that, that's, there's some very, very polarizing parables that, you know, deal with that issue. And that outer darkness thing is intended to be strong language, but it's not soteriological. In other words, it's not mm-hmm. right. implying they're unsaved. That's, that's a hard thing for all of us to overcome, but I was shocked to discover that Thayer, Kenneth Wiest, uh, Zodiades, all the, you know, the competent Greek, uh, commentators see it that way. 
and also uh, Charles Stanley. Uh, uh, you can make a whole list of of the Wiersbe and others that recognize that. But it's it's, it's a real it's a tough uh, uh, thing to crawl over because so many of us for so long. And I'm included in that for years. You know, I always think of the outer darkness as a, as sure. a, a synonymous uh, with uh, Hades. Now, there's another thing that's worth mentioning in all of this. And uh, I, now this now I'll shift to an area that I have some expertise in personally, and that's the information sciences. I have come to the conclusion uh, that there is no, there, that there are no such things as synonyms. I think two words can be synonymous in that they mean about the same thing. But watch out for that word almost or about because uh, there's a concept in optics. You know, if you take if you look at a, a star out in the, in the sky with a cheap telescope, you see a bright spot. If you spend a lot of money and get a really good telescope and look at that same star, you discover it's a double star. There's a property in optics called resolving power, and the same thing works in language. And uh, that's why we have grammar, and that's why we have other tools in in exegetical studies. And you quickly discover that two words that mean almost the same thing. Um, are, uh, may be highlighting, one may be more denotative than the other, mm-hmm. and more specific, in other words. And uh, once you realize that, all kinds of insights start to emerge from the biblical text. And you have to get to the originals, because often the translators will uh, shade meanings uh, just to give a better flow of the text and so forth, where the translator may not have the expositional insights to do that you know correctly so and they're also the influenced is, by their yeah by their culture by their time period and things like that and the language absolutely limitations exactly. and things. but i've come to the view yeah. uh that the the original text there, there are properties let me just use the uh, the torah as an example there are properties in the torah that are absolutely phenomenal but what's interesting about them if you remove one letter they fall apart Mm-hmm. And that leads you, once you discover those and traffic in those a little bit, you come to the profound insight that not only did God give Moses the Torah, he gave it to him letter by letter. Now, uh, what I, the more I uh, uh, study the, the text, as I mature, as, a, as just a, I've been studying for 60 years, but uh, as, I, uh, as I do that, I'm constantly amazed. I, I've many times through my, my 60-year history of Christian, obviously had to modify my views as I mature. But in every case that I've had to adjust my views, it's always been in the direction of being more specific, more precise. Uh-huh. It's, uh, it's Revelation 5.18, you know, not one yacht or one tittle. They're actually, uh, you know, the rabbis have a colorful expression. They say, we won't really understand the passage until the Messiah comes. When he comes, he'll not only interpret the passage, he'll interpret the very words, the very letters. In fact, he'll even interpret the spaces between the letters. And when I first heard that, I smiled. I thought it was just one of these colorful exaggerations. I'm convinced today that this is probably very literally true. So well, that's, that's, that's one why of the reasons I, that yeah. these... Yeah. Our oh, yeah, God's sorry. an engineer. I'm, I'm here. Yeah, our, our, God, our God's an engineer, and that's why he's that precise. I knew precise. you were going to bring it back to engineers. But let me yeah. let, let me just <laughs> summarize an, an analogy, and you tell me if I'm wrong, and then I want to move on to other question. Another okay. analogy yeah. I see in Scripture, what you're saying with outer darkness, is is similar to what happened on Mount Sinai when the children of Israel came. The children of Israel um, were were part of God's covenant people. They had a relationship with God. But they were separated by a dark cloud from the kind of access that Moses had. Now, it wasn't the mm-hmm. fact that that one was in and one was outside of God's will, but wow. there was a proximity yeah, I, I, of relationship. 
I, I like that so much, I'm going to steal that analogy. I okay. like that. No, I, I agree with you. That, that's colorful, and I think right on, right on the money. Exactly right. That, so, that's, so Moses couldn't say uh, the people yeah, were lost uh, that were down at the bottom of the mountain, but there was a proximity and difference of relationship there uh, on, exactly. on what they could deal with. And in fact, be, be, because of the limitations of where the people were at at the foot of the mountain, it would have it would have been harmful probably to them to have that level of contact that you suggest those who are overcomers will have one day wow, in I, the millennial I, I, kingdom. That's that's elegant. I, I have to admit that that's a, a, a parallel that I, I will exploit myself. I, I, I think that's right on the money. And, and uh, unless my mer- – because I always kid – at my age, I start kidding around. I say senility is a humbling thing. Uh, yeah. uh, I don't think I, – I, I don't think I'd use that. I think I'm going to steal that from you. Well, that's a dandy. I'd be, be honored. <laughs> uh, now, do, do only some Christians become part of the bride of Christ, and if so, why? Well, I think there's, a, uh, again, a nomenclature problem, because clearly the term body of Christ and the bride of Christ are used virtually synonymously. But I think what we overlook is that the bride doesn't become the wife necessarily. She has to qualify. And uh, the, if, you, if you really press the Jewish uh, wedding model or metaphor, if you will, um, the the uh, it's my it's and this now we're moving into an area of speculation and conjecture. So let's recognize we're making a shift mm-hmm. here. Sure. But it's my personal conjecture that um, that the, the the term bride of Christ refers to her eligibility to become his wife, but to be actually be actually actually to become the bride or the or the wife the wife of Christ, if you will, I think is a is a climax of the. Uh, uh, evident at uh, the, uh, the events uh, before the Venus seat. I think the, the 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 losers, so to speak, get through that exercise with the skin of their teeth, where they're saved mm-hmm. because of what Christ did, but their, their fruit bearing has been to say, let's assume near zero. At the other end of the of the spectrum, at the positive end, we have the candidate who makes her own uh, uh, linen, her own garments. Most of us will have imputed garments because of Christ's righteousness. Great. But if you read Revelation 19, you'll notice that she prepares her own garments. In other words, she has merit, so to speak, in that sense. And so uh, she. Um, uh, the point is, I, I think the, 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 uh, there is the, – well, I guess what I'm getting at is I think there's plenty of scriptural evidence to argue that we don't all reign with him. That's the big error, I think, in teaching that so many of us are victims of. Because wherever it says about ruling with them, it says, if so, be that you're a medicoy, a participant. And uh, uh, you, you, the, 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 the many verses that refer to ruling with him assume that you're an overcomer. And, in fact, it's, it's Jesus that uh, instructs us, be sure that, uh, that you don't lose your crown. So a crown can be lost. Your salvation can't be, but your inheritance can. And, the, and your, so I, I see the the term uh, a bride of Christ. If you're using it in terms of being eligible to be win, great. But I think the wife, the one, the ones that actually qualify, are a subset. Let me ask you this: the, the, the general theme that you have, the, this thing of the bride of Christ, is just a subset of, of basically what you show was the overcomers being a subset of all of those who found salvation in Christ. 
and of course, mm-hmm. that's very, very controversial in the evangelical community. But but unless someone accepts that, let me just ask you: if 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 you deny something similar to that, something akin either where you land or something close, if you deny that, aren't you really taking all the if statements in the Bible and sweeping them under the rug? Because some of the verses you cited and others will make all sorts of promises to us if you do this, if you overcome. The 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 the, mm-hmm. the the seven churches in Revelation are promised many things, but they're usually have an if statement associated with them and a responsibility mm-hmm. exactly. elsewhere in the Gospels. Now, if, if if you totally deny this concept, you have to just totally deny all the ifs and ignore them. Do you not? Oh, it, 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 yeah, uh, it, it, you know, where two people agree, one is redundant. <laughs> you, you, I'm agreeing with you. In other words, okay. uh, uh, the, 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 my, my point. Yeah, this is. I've I've had a number of controversial interviews and stuff. Uh, this is the, in this interview for the last uh, what 40, 50 minutes uh, is one that has given me a a better expression of our position than we probably have been effective at presenting ourselves. I mean, that's exactly right. It, the the part of this the book that's really controversial isn't just the outer darkness thing. They, those are, mm-hmm. in my mind, exegetical issues. And and there's also other issues that are really just one of one of vocabulary. But this is the core issue, and it strangely is the the, the key. It, it's the essential uh, point of the entire. Uh, uh, project uh, and and it's the part that's got so many people uh, it's got so many feathers rustled because it's a co- it's a call to accountability and uh, well frankly I don't you, see uh, the it, other side taking an effective counter argument I don't see them taking those passages and say no brother Chuck you're wrong because this is what this means when it says if you don't do this you won't get this and I don't see an effective counter argument to what you're saying it may be there but I I just see a lot of sweeping under the rug. In a lot of evangelical circles, it gets, and 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 frankly, it gets even worse than that. Uh, what there's a viewpoint that I hadn't realized even existed that I discover exists, and with great militancy, and it's a viewpoint that probably should be called hyper dispensationalism, and that's a view by some pastors that the church was born in Acts chapter two, and because and everything that in the Gospels was was being presented to an unbelieving Jewish population. So that, it doesn't apply. And, and, yeah, uh, I've heard that. So it doesn't apply. Yeah, that's and, crazy. And, and that the only part of the scripture that applies is from chapter two, is the epistles, in effect. Well, that, of course, is easily refuted by the epistles themselves. What sort of things are written for? Time were written for our learning. We quickly could throw together a number of verses that uh, all scripture is given by is God breathed, etc. So the point is, this idea of this partitioning, uh, there's a red flag that flies in my mind. It's called exclusionary truth. These attempts to mm-hmm. define a truth that excludes other truth is 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 uh, implies that God is an incapable architect. No, this thing is well designed. It's a package. Every every yacht and tittle ties together, and uh, we. Uh, so uh, I find that I find that view mystifying to me. Number mm-hmm. one, but I, the other thing I found out that uh, fascinatingly is the people that hold it hold it with a militancy that's shocking. Uh, as you know, I have had a whole history with uh, uh, the Calvary Chapel uh, uh, groups and so forth, and even within that group, they're not fortunately not large numbers, but there are, there are substantial numbers that hold this what I would call hyper dispensational view, and uh, uh, there are you know there are sectors there where we're, <laughs> we're very unwelcome uh, because of our viewpoints. So and they would the say that, that the groom would have nothing to say to his bride. 
Well, so, so, no, some people even feel that he beats her to death through the tribulation before marrying her. So <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I don't have, I don't have those views. The, uh, yeah. the Ed Hunt has a colorful way of, of dramatizing that error, you know. We're back on Future Quake with Doctor Future and Tom uh, K House Bionic. Forgot to tell you, today is our seven hundredth original radio broadcast of the Future Quake Show. Wow. 700 original 700 radio. 700 original episodes. Yeah, I like that. Sound like you're doing a commercial for the uh, you know, it monster kinda, trucks coming to town at the car freaked, show. It kind of freaked Pyro out. Somebody else that will freak you out is Merv, who can tell you how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. We have to go. All right, let's get out of here. Okay, come back tomorrow for our last segment with uh, Dr. Missler. Till then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom, astrological sign lion. Line of the tribe of Judah, bionic. Is this a Misslerism? That's a Chuck Misslerism. Yes, it is. Really? Mm-hmm. But he'll be impressed when he hears this. <laughs> if you're well versed in Misslerism, yeah. And that's because this week we have had Dr. Chuck Missler, the founder of Quinonia House, uh, on our show, uh, talking about a new, very controversial book, co-written by he and his wife Nancy, called "The Kingdom, Power, and Glory: uh, The Overcomer's Handbook," and its basic premise that. Uh, uh, there's a lot at stake on how we overcome uh, in our Christian walk in this life, and that to rule and reign with Christ means we've got to take our walk with Christ seriously and Word bear fruit. up. And I can't. That's like the best thing that I've heard all afternoon. Well, you maybe know? he'll have you write that for like a approval for his book. Well, it's Tom Bionic. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, you jest, but it's like so. Pe- yeah. So many people are like. Well, I can I can affect God's kingdom from my armchair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, oh man! But the guys that you and I know, the kind of come on future Quaker, mm-hmm. aren't those kind of people. Mm-hmm. And neither are a lot of our Futurian listeners. Yeah. Well, here's our last segment with Chuck Missler, and then we'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. But I think this issue of accountability, this issue of, of taking seriously our walk. Uh, uh, th- let me, uh, we're getting near the end. Of, there's another issue that really means a lot to me. We keep hearing about in several places in the book of Revelation. It says God will wipe away the tears from their eyes. And when you think about that, that's a mystery. Because wait a minute, there's no death, there's no sickness, uh, there's no shortages of anything. Uh, not, uh, and, and yet, so why are there tears at all? And the answer, I believe, is comes from John Greenleaf Whittier's famous little thing. He says, of all the words of tongue of pen, the saddest of these, it might have been. I believe that um, when we get to the when we get to the uh, judgment seat of Christ mm-hmm. and we look back at our life 
and it's not the sin is not an issue. That was dealt right. with two thousand right. years ago on the cross. But what will grieve us as we realize the time we wasted, the time excuse the expression, but the time we've ch- wasted chasing a golf ball around the grass mm-hmm. or whatever. Those are probably bad examples. But the point is, as we look back at our life and we realize where our priorities should have been. I think the part that's going to grieve us is our lack of diligence, our lack of faithfulness, the time we wasted. Yeah, I think it'll. It, I think it's going to shake us up. And I think the real lesson here is to realize that we're in a training camp for heaven, and that uh, every one of our every day that goes by is uh, part of our exam. And there's going to be a final exam where this is going to be reviewed from the point of. I have to use the word works because that. It ignites a whole number of other misconceptions. It, it, I, I like the term fruit bearing, because that is what we're accountable for—to bear fruit for Him, and 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 it has to be motivated properly, not by works. You know, I love these books that give you you know the, the 25 things you need to do to, in order to be a, 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 a. No, no, that misses the point. That's, that's all of the flesh. No, it's it's, it's the you, you, early in your summary, you hit the magic word for me, and that's the attitude with which you bring to those tasks. But I think the real challenge for all of us. And it becomes a moment-by-moment prioritization of our lives to do that in terms of the kingdom is what it's really all about. That's what we mean by the the walk itself. And it's so tragic in my mind. I think that's probably the main shortcoming so, of So of you can't the say church, our, our main effort right. is not walk down the aisle and shaking the pastor's hand. We can't rest at the yeah. end on the, and at the pew and say we're done. We're going to take the done. kingdom back through an armchair. It's, it's and, not, you know, I thought maybe we could take it line. easy after that. Yeah. I think yeah. we confuse the the finish line from the starting gun. I think that commitment to Christ is a starting gun. It starts our opportunity. Up until then, our our, our works are obviously useless. Uh, in fact, we're in bondage to sin. But from that point on, uh, sin need no longer reign. We may stumble, but it won't longer reign. We have, uh, uh, and that gets to the, the, the paradigm of past, present, and future in terms of us, you know, the, the difference in justification, sanctification, and so on. You know what it is? Uh, yeah. It's a starting gun. It's a starting gun. And, uh, and, the, and the finish line is when we get to the Bema seat to see how well we've done. Well, you know, when you have that attitude, too, what it also says is your attitude about God, that he doesn't have really that important things going on. Uh, because it's really not that big a deal on how accurate we carry out what his will is. Uh, it trivializes the importance of his mission when the fact of how well we do it or not is of little consequence. And also it trivializes what his plans on the other side are. Uh, he takes his management development team very, very seriously, evidently, as, as listed well, in the scripture. Well, and, and, and the strangest example is the one you use, that's Moses. Because mm-hmm. he was on the, in the cloud, he had the benefit, and yet he did not inherit. Um, right. After 120 years, 40 there, 40, 40 in Egypt, 40 in the backside of the desert, and 40 years wandering, and you get down to the finish line, and he doesn't inherit. Because he because of an attitude when he struck that rock the second time and shouldn't have. And he's, you know, it's, it's really astonishing to realize after all that, he doesn't inherit. Now, the good news right. is I don't think he's finished. I, I think he's, that's why I think Satan had a fight with. Sure. That's, that's, yeah, anyway. And he may have another, is, another kick at the can here, too. I think I know where you're I coming think, with I, that. Absolutely, yeah. The but, second two witnesses. Yeah, but, so the point is, that's a sobering thing to realize that you've had what, some, over a million people at Kedish Barnea that, that were forgiven. They were forgiven for their lack of faith, but mm-hmm. they didn't inherit. Because right. God swore enough. And, and that's why uh, Hebrews 6 is so misunderstood, because it's God that's not doing the repenting. 
and uh, so he right. cannot repent because he swore an oath. And so, the, 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 anyway, the, this whole whole perspective is one of taking him seriously. Man, can you imagine? Why should taking God seriously be so controversial? But, but I, I welcome the controversy because, as, as Tim LaHaye pointed out, that'll sell a lot of books. <laughs> well, let, let me ask you some hard questions on this, okay? The kind of okay, people are going to ask. Do, if do. they're discerning thinking yeah. people, hopefully they're going to mull this over and think. What you show is something, to use a little bit of a technical vernacular, you show something more like a step function, where you actually differentiate the overcomers and non-overcomers. It is not a continuous, gradual, analog function. It's like digital, one or zero. You are an overcomer or a non-overcomer. So there's a big step function on whether you get to go in to the marriage supper, whether you go in and reign, you go in and experience his glory in the temple or not. That people, some people are going to ask an obvious question, whereas for, regarding salvation, they understand the point that I have become, I, I have accepted Christ's sacrifice in my life. I confessed it before others. I made a discrete step. Therefore, I have a discrete change of my eternal status. When it comes to overcoming, wh- where is the discrete break where God looks at each, or Jesus looks at each one of us and says, "Okay, you just barely made it in to overcomer. Sorry, you made it just a little below that line." You're out on the outside. How, how do we well, resolve I, that point it, of how they're separated into two camps? Yeah, well, I think I, I think we're building a conundrum there by insisting on a single step function, okay. rather than you know in, right. in, incremental things. So that, and 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 uh, so I'm not sure I'm ready to buy into a you know a, a binary. I hear where you're going. Like for, for example, I might get to be a shop foreman on a construction crew. Which is sort of an award, <laughs> but it's not like being the vice president, you know, or well, something. But, and, but, but well, the, my, no, no, but no, no. Luke, Luke talks about that. Yeah. Luke talks about that. There's some get one city, some get two cities, some fights. He actually yeah. does it in, number, in one of the par- those parables. It, it, there's ten talents, of course, is one example, but the other example is the the multiple city concept. Right. And uh, uh, so, but uh, there is a distinguishing and, characteristic the, in your terms, the overcomer term you use, that there is an overcomer. Or a non-overcomer. By the way, I did. Excuse me. Excuse me. I didn't use that term. Jesus did in seven epistles he wrote. Well, ask him to explain that then, because <laughs> yeah, well, I he, did, under- he does. No, I mean, if the seven letters, seven churches, uh, right. each one, uh, you know, and and he's the one that's admonishing us that no man take your crown and so forth. So this whole bema seat rewards thing is the core of the issue. Uh, the term of uh, some people are overtaken, some people are over uh, overcomers. Yeah. I don't. I don't quite buy the 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 one and zero step function. I think okay. there are grades involved because, and I draw that from the parables that are in the gospels. So I don't have to have so many ounces of gold that comes through there to be able to have the overcomer light go on the the furnace <laughs> machine. Yeah. You know what I'm no, getting at? So. Yeah, yeah, no, I understand. Okay, but I, I think that's the value. That's the evaluation or appraisal that goes on at the bema seat. Okay, so that that's what I was talking about, and I think you made that point clear in your book that there are gradual rewards that he gives as he sees fit. Of course, the one with ten talents, the one with fives. We have other examples of that. Yeah. But yet, yeah. there is a term yeah. that is used called overcomer or non overcomer that sounds very discreet. That yeah, but that term. But let me underscore once again that term isn't mine. It's mm-hmm. used, and not just once. It's used seven times in seven letters. <laughs> 
by our Lord Himself. So I, 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 I don't think we can duck or twist or, or sort of. Uh, yeah, and I'm not trying to, but, but can you explain <laughs> where is the threshold where one becomes an overcomer? Or not, not that I'm trying to go on the curve, okay? In school, I'd try to get a low A, you know, and just get get the 91 <laughs> or the 95. But I'm not trying to do that here. But I'm just saying, if, if that if that analysis of being an overcomer, unless it's not a label you hang on. Maybe they don't give you a T-shirt that says overcomer or not. Maybe it's just a gradual <laughs> thought of a successful person. Uh-huh. You know, like where they give satisfactory, unsatisfactory in the first grade, you know. But but if it's uh-huh. that discreet, where is the line? Or, or is that just something Jesus reserves to himself to call of those who really had, and maybe it's a heart attitude uh, that separates well, the yeah, scripted those who are not. Yeah, at, the, at the Naval Academy, uh, we had what's called stripers, and uh, you know, and and you you exceeded the rank within the brigade depending on on your aptitude to service and all that. And so it wasn't a, a win or lose thing. It was okay. What did you win at? And there's one six striper. There's three or four five, and okay. it works your way down. You know, the thing. So it's it's like a military. That was a military environment, but maybe this is true. I I I, I don't I don't see it as a buy value, a two valued thing. I okay. see it as 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 uh, you know levels of qualification, sure. Well, you suggest, I know we're getting here to the end, I just got a few things that people may ask. You suggest in your book that the millennium could possibly be rehabilitative for some non-overcomers. Well, there's a... Yeah, there is a there's a term that no, and we've been to the Rockefeller Institute in Jerusalem tracking this down, et cetera. There's a word in the translate called Gizra in the in Ezekiel uh, mm-hmm. uh, several times. It's one of the, my favorite it, parts it, of the it, book, by the way. That's that's one of the most fascinating parts <laughs> of the book. Well, yeah, and and there's some debate as to whether it's the building that some people label as a Gizra in some of the diagrams, or whether it's the space next to it, and that's what the text really implies. And if it's space next to it on the west side, it may be the size of the temple itself. But the point really being is its purpose it's that separate place and nobody the word in the Hebrew derives from the term a, a, a place that's set aside for polishing and maintenance what have you and so uh, what is that we don't know it's a speculation though that uh, maybe that's a place for remedial help and and uh, 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 it comes from the idea of polishing and so forth and you can build an inferential case that that might be what it means, but that's and my wife and I talk a lot about that, and we suspect we don't know we suspect that might be an allusion to something of that kind. Clearly, though, that that uh, uh, I I'm not there's a presumption that once we're after we're raptured and we're in that environment that our training is over. I don't mm-hmm. think so. There may be an opportunity for a remedial, and maybe uh, it's that's just but this is speculation on our part. Mm-hmm. And you can build a case to support that, but it's just it's an influential one, not a not a, a deductively uh, doctrinal right. one. If you well, will. they'll have a lot of K house material left over. Uh, <laughs> the heavens and earth haven't burned up yet, so if it survives Armageddon, they'll have some laying around they can put in the geyser. But it, you know, it's there for a purpose. You know, God didn't put things there for no reason. So I think that's no, an exactly intriguing, right. intriguing explanation for it. I know we're coming to the end. I just got to wrap up with it with a, one of them that's really important to me to make sure people understand. Okay. Uh, the millennium was the focus of your book and the impact. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they call me Doctor Future for a reason. I like to look way out beyond the future, and, and, and I still see the millennium why a very important and essential phase of the history of of Earth and of creation. It's not the final point. We have a new heavens and a new earth. And we hear Jesus say one of the most amazing things in the world when he says, Behold, I'm making all things new. 
you know, from a from a clean slate. Do some of the teachings that you have, and particularly the position and status that your premise says we were rewarded in the millennium for our faithful service here, does any of that carry over into the new heavens and the new earth? And also the passage that you mentioned, I could see some of them being interpreted from a millennial time period and some for a post-millennial time period. Can you comment a little bit on that, on how the two compare? Well, I think that, you see, the minute you start getting into this kind of a discussion, you really have to include in your horizon the concept of hyperspaces, uh, multidimensionality. And and uh, so, uh, in fact, that seems to be very strongly suggested by the New Jerusalem itself, which is a very strange uh, uh, allusion to this thing that is, Apparently not on the earth, but hanging over it in some way. And I, I, uh, I, I find it in my own. We're dealing now in how we visualize these things, and I have to argue that I think a lot of that is is I think we're naive to try to view those things in a, a Euclidean space that is a three-dimensional mm-hmm. world that we're used to, and uh, we know that the world we, we're in has more than four dimensions, thanks to Einstein. In fact, we know the current uh, estimates are like ten dimensions. So that gets into a whole other kind of discussion But uh, that I think has to be the environment that you deal with, especially when you go from Revelation 20 to 21 and 22. You're moving into all things new. And that Mm -hmm. word new may be far more embracing than we have any idea. I I would expect uh, that's true, too. But but so, So we're guaranteed a thousand year appointment based upon our successful work, it's still up in the air whether that proceeds to the other side. Is that what I'm understanding? That, and there's even a more fundamental question in the, in the other thing. That what are we actually going to be doing for a thousand years? And mm-hmm. we're in resurrection bodies. Are we some, and we know that he rules the millennium with a rod of iron. In other words, strictly, tightly, are we some kind of millennium? What, what's, what's our role there's going to be mortals there because there's inheritance rules and other mm-hmm. things mentioned in Ezekiel, the prince and so forth. And, and who is he? That's a whole other discussion. The point is, um, uh, uh, as you start to wrestle with that, uh, I the more I study it, the less uh, comfortable, uh, less certain I become in terms of what are we actually going to be doing. I have no idea. Everybody mm-hmm. has speculations, of course, but mm-hmm. but I think the more we study it, uh, the, the more challenging it becomes. But I, I, I think that most of what we think we know about the millennium doesn't come from Revelation 20. It comes from Isaiah 65, 66, mm-hmm. and other passages. But I think the more you study that, um, it's it's going to be more different than we can imagine. And yet, it's not eternity yet. Uh, there, there, you know, there, there, there is death. Right. There is, and so uh, it, the, the 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 that's probably the most troubling era, period, study area yeah. uh, of all to try to, to it's, it's a hybrid kind of time. It's obviously mm-hmm. uh, back to Eden in a sense, and yet there's still, there's, there is sin, there is issues, and so uh, that, uh, that, that's still challenging. Mm-hmm. I, I, I personally haven't come across materials that uh, you know, convince me very much that we know very much about that, mm-hmm. other than uh, uh, that's, uh, that's what we're being prepared for. Well, I I just figured that's when we'd be chasing a little ball around. 
I figured if we're missing out on a good <laughs> golf big game, played squirrel wheel. I figured we're, we're missing out the golf game now. We'd make up for it, particularly if we we're in high executive positions in the kingdom. Yeah. It would be expected that we would have a round of golf. Like to millennial do. kings of the earth is what you're. Yeah, We've got executive. Right. Yeah, a lot of TV. I'm gonna yeah. catch up on a lot of TV during the millennium. Yeah. I've not had much chance to watch it now. So. Yeah, there's a lot of Andy Griffith I haven't seen, and we'll have a. You know, they, it bounces off the ionosphere, so we'll still be able to pick it up from from what I hope. Uh, get, getting, <laughs> see, you you can use that information too. That'd be useful in your next book. Um, you know, I have to admit, what went through my mind when I read your book here is, is we close. When I when I read this teaching about overcomers, and, and and I'm sure you'll tip your hat to these people, and about getting significant rewards in the, in the millennium, it, it it harkens back to a generation of scholars that I hold in very high regard in my very limited primitive theological understanding. And that are guys like George Pember, and you mentioned G.H. Lang, uh, one of his predecessors. Sure. Uh, sure. Edith Wilson, Edith Wilson, all the, and they, what's interesting, they happen to be partial rapture guys, which I, I don't buy, I can refute from scripture, right. I think, but because they happen to have some of those views as their way of reconciling what they felt were kind of, you know, contradictions, uh, they still had much, much to contribute, and they're often disregarded by people because of their partial rapture view, that uh, you can, you, even though you can perhaps refute that one particular issue, doesn't mean their other insights are to be invalidated. And I think they're <laughs> incredibly, uh, uh, E.S. E. Wilson being an example of one that I learned a lot from. And, uh, mm-hmm. and some of those, the, 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 there's a whole family of, of, of people from that view that have a lot of constructive uh, contributions to make from our point of view, even though they do hold a view that we don't, Agree to, you know, but, so, but they caught uh, the, the key that, point, you know. You, yeah, you, you may have some of those views, and the Lord's going to straighten all of us out for a lot of things that we don't understand. But the thing that they understood it was that it was important, even back in their era, to be faithful to Christ, mm-hmm. and He is one who rewards His servants. Mm-hmm. And 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 those gentlemen talk about overcomers. I saw those gentlemen in that era be as overcomers. You can't help but read a book like Earth's Earliest Ages. Another controversial book that you should appreciate from 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 sort of the Chuck Missler his era, that that wrote a book that was bold <laughs> enough to take you know scripture at face value and to use a little bit of speculation and show real inspiration I think in a, in a lot of points. That's my yeah. personal opinion. If I recall correctly, did you oh, pre- yeah. predict the uh, rise of Spiritism, Buddhism, and New Age? And in, in, in the eighteen like eighty, the spirit. He, the, was, he also was the, he was also the first one to recognize the possibility. That in Revelation 12, between verses 5 and 6, when the man-child is caught up to God in his throne, Pember said that might refer to the uh, to the body of Christ being caught up. In other words, he saw that right. as right. an allusion to the rapture, not just the ascension. Most of it we then think of the ascension. Mm-hmm. He put those together, and, and the, the gap that occurs between verse 5 and 6 uh, is profoundly significant. And he was the one, I think, earliest, I think, that right. that put his finger on that. And the reestablishment of the nation of Israel. But one of my favorites is in his writing on, on Babylon, the great city Babylon. He said, you know, this sounds like one of those cities that will probably be partying all night long. And he says they might even use one of these newfangled inventions they called incandescent lights, where they might have <laughs> lights even at nighttime. So you talk about a visionary. You know, that's a man. He should have been one of your Issachar people. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you should have like a George Pember Award Pember for for Award. whoever 
overcomes most in the Issachar group, you know, uh, in, in by, K-House. By the, by the way, by the way, you're kidding around here a little bit, obviously. Your tongue-in-cheek is fun. But uh, I may pick up on that. I think a, a Pember Award would have a role within the Institute. We would like uh, to be on the I, committee. And, I, and yeah. let, me, let, me drop, let me drop another one on you, by the way. Do you realize that most of what we know about astronomy is wrong? That the gravity has no effect on stars. It's to the, if it's if you divide by the distance squared, it turns out that the sky we look at is electric. That the sun is not a thermonuclear device. It is simply a very sophisticated light bulb. And that may sound silly, and I'm doing that deliberately just to stir up some discussion here. But the point is, the uh, the the fact that we're dealing in plasmas, not gravity, not not solid materials, is missed. Is well understood, by the way, to the plasma specialists have been for centuries, so to speak, but uh, totally ignored by the astronomers because they think they don't understand. We have to go from Newton to Clark Maxwell. You have to understand the Maxwell equations and to, be, 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 to, uh, to look mm-hmm. at all this. And once you do that, you discover the Bible is way ahead of us in physics, in right. physics. And, and the whole point of the zero-point energy and all those, these topics that are suddenly emerging are anticipated in the text. And that's a fun world, too. If you want. It's amazing to find the same kind of theological wars going on in the field of physics, uh, where they theoretically are supposed to be empiricist and, and verify things by empirically. They're way off. Anyway, they're off in the... You know, it, it, uh, Pember's the guy. When you see guys like Pember, they were phenomenal because they anchored themselves to the text, mm-hmm. and, and that 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 uh, that wins the accolades in my book. You know, we have a similar award here. We have the Glenn Beck Award for theological achievement too. So <laughs> we, we, we we try to stay cutting oh, edge boy. on this kind of thing. Yeah. So I want to thank you so much for joining us, and I want to encourage our listeners. I'm available to you guys anytime. I really am available anytime. I really appreciate this. Minute. From my point of view, a very encouraging discussion. Just make sure you keep us on that Pember Award committee, okay? Yeah. Uh, okay, you're and, on. <laughs> and we, 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 we'd like to have a red carpet and distinguished yeah. VIP treatment when we come for that. But uh, how, how can our listeners get a hold of this book and any other materials they just might so want? On our website, either my wife's website, she has her own at King's Highway, but, or just khouse.org, we'll take care of it. Okay. Uh, that, uh, either one of our websites will deal with it, of course. And uh, uh, we're, we're, I have to confess that we're absolutely out of inventory, but it's on its way. So uh, we've got a hiatus here. Uh, I was going to try to grab one to be, at least be prepared in case I needed it for the interview, and I couldn't find one here. Cause it, so we could have made stuff so. up and then We could have made it up. You had no yeah, idea. It's in the book. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we could have yeah, had no, no idea. They're, they're, I think they're doing another week or two at a whole new supply because it's, it's been a – it's been a very encouraging. Also, we have uh, all the DVDs, and, and uh, they expand the book, by the way. Uh, both my wife's that has half a dozen, so do I, uh, DVD studies. So they're all available on the website. Well, you know, even if they're burning effigies of Chuck Messler in some evangelical circles right now, this book has something <laughs> to say. It actually has content about something that could affect, uh, if not their eternal life, at least their long-term future life, mm-hmm. put it that way. Uh, however, I have to complain to you in closing that 
uh, Koinonia House is really uh, missing a lot of the self-help books I see in a lot of yeah. the Christian bookstores, like you know, your your best life now and how to feel cozy and comfy about yourself yeah. and how to be focused on yourself <laughs> and your emotional. You feel good. And, yeah, yeah, your emotional needs. Disregard to everything else. <laughs> why the world is mean to you and why you know you, you deserve everything. This book doesn't give you that cozy feeling. It made me feel like I needed to get up and do something. So it's not going to do very well on the top of the uh, the Christian bookstore list with you not making people, people feel it's cuddly. It's not going to compete with the shack. It won't compete with the shack, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah and you're, you're probably not going to fill as many big stadiums, you know, because you don't have enough itching ears material in there. So you might want to get on that a little bit. Thank you so much for being with us. Please come back and share some more information. If you can slow down for two minutes when you're not in Kuala Lumpur or somewhere like that. I'm available I'm available to you preemptively and that those are the instructions to my staff. So I, I think I that means I think that means good. Maybe we should have them on for news sometime. Yeah we'll have we'll just, just con- yeah if you come to tomorrow's tremors or today's review of the futures news that we do every week, we could certainly get a get an earful from that. Yeah. So thank you so much, Brother Chuck, and uh, we just look forward to seeing what you're going to be doing in the future. Keep challenging us. Thank you. God bless you guys. Welcome back to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom. Big fan of numbers, too. Bionic. Uh, I assume Dr. Missler is, too, for you to bring that up. Yeah, yeah, that's a little, another little Misslerism I, I learned very mm-hmm. young in my Christian walk. Go over to khouse.org if you've not been there. Mm-hmm. Just check out the 100, stuff. 100 million products they have yep. on about every topic uh, known to man in the Bible. Yeah. And there's so many different things you can get involved in there, it boggles the imagination. Yeah. The K-House bobbleheads and the K-House flamethrowers. Mm-hmm. And, and tell them you heard about them on Future Quake. Yep. That would be even cooler. That would be double cool. Tell them, though, Dr. Future and Tom Bionic sent you. Mm-hmm. And somebody else you can talk to is Murph who can tell you how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. We have to go. Let's get out. Come back tomorrow for our traditional Tomorrow's Tremors. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I am Tom. Really sad in the direction things have turned, news-wise. I mean, not our show, but, you know, just it's distressing news. Bionic. World news. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, you actually had an explanatory phrase in the middle of your middle name. Mm-hmm. That was very interesting. Ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be back with you here on Friday on Future Quake. We hope you enjoyed the interview with Chuck Nissler and uh, found it intriguing. We couldn't cover a whole lot of the book because of limited time, but hopefully it's enough to capture mm-hmm. your interest in it. And since it's Friday, we're back to our traditional role. And what does Friday signify, Tom Bionic? Friday means that everybody's working for the weekend. No. Is that right? I don't remember that every week on Future Quake. No, there was... Um 
School's out for summer. Well, if you're going to do a song, how about, I got Friday on my mind. Yeah. There's this TGI I Friday song. The city. Yeah. Sinatra. Sorry about that. It's 5 o'clock. We're open with some yeah, Ladies and gentlemen, it is tomorrow's Tremors, or today's review of the Futures News. Or Revelation 18 News, as I like to mm-hmm. sometimes. And believe it or not, this is a Christian radio station, if you've not tuned in yet, or mm-hmm. radio show. And um, we'll actually seriously talk about uh, the news of the world from a Christian biblical viewpoint as mm-hmm. best we can muster. Mm-hmm. But some news stories that maybe you're not familiar with yep. that uh, we're covering here. It oddly gets swept under the rug every single week. And we tend to look at ones that tend to make the traditional Christian culture a little uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. There um, we go. Because that's, that helps us grow. Okay. You mm-hmm. got something to share with us? Yeah, I'll go. I'll go here. I'll do a quick one for us. Okay. <clears throat> Facing prison time for filming U.S. police. This is by Chris Arsenault from Al Jazeera, interestingly enough. Okay. Uh, When police arrested Anthony Graber for speeding on his motorbike, the 25-year-old probably did not see himself as an advocate for police accountability in the age of new media. But Graber, a sergeant with the Maryland Air National Guard, is now facing 16 years in prison, not for dangerous driving. And he was driving pretty fast, 127 miles at one point. Uh, wow. But for a YouTube video, he posted after receiving a speeding ticket. Right? He's on a motorcycle. Uh. Uh, the video, filmed with a camera mounted on Graber's motorcycle helmet designed to record biking stunts rather than police abuse, shows a plainclothes officer jumping out of an unmarked car and pointing a pistol at the motorcyclist. It's more like like in his face. Hmm. He just he, The guy sort of bails out of the car and puts the gun in his face. Um, it does not... T- portray the policeman in a positive light, to say the least. Uh, After he posted the video on YouTube, which I've watched, police raided Graber's home, seized computers, and put him in jail. What was the law that he broke? Uh, That you don't, you can't, you're not allowed to film police officers. Even if they're doing something wrong? Yeah. That, that. It, because they don't want to be seen doing something wrong. Yeah, there's a, the, um, I can't remember who what it was. He said, look, it was some uh, uh, Maryland state official saying, look, the law is clear. You cannot film police officers doing their job. The law is 100%. Even a third party, like a sidewalk person, if they see a cop just beating somebody mercilessly. Yeah. If he they says, videotape it, it is, they'll go to- it is absolutely clear that you cannot videotape them. But the interesting thing. So is, even like, for example, remember Rodney King? Remember yeah. when I, that if guy that would go to in jail? Maryland, yeah, if that yeah. happened in Maryland, yeah, that could he could potentially go to jail. So rather than those cops being held accountable, or at least they were supposed to be. Yeah. Instead of that, they would uh, just arrest the person yeah, who recorded and, it. And if he had put it on YouTube, they would, you know, seize his computers and put him in jail. Um, now the interesting thing is this went to sort of a, a an adjudication thing of a couple of uh, scholars there in Maryland, some mm-hmm. law scholars who issued, uh, they were non-binding, non-binding rulings, but they were mm-hmm. rulings that, that the courts often accepted. He said, no, they can film it. He can film it, and you need to let this guy to jail. Really? Yeah. So there's But they had some, to go through all of this stuff for the courts to get. Yeah. There's some ambiguity there. Um, uh, the case is critical to the protection of democracy because I don't think you can have a free country in which public officials are able to criminally prosecute people who film what they are doing, David Roca, a lawyer with the American Civil Liberties Union in Maryland, uh, who is representing Graber, said. And uh, he's 100% right. I'd have to totally agree with this guy in this case. What about if you're a member of the news media? I don't think it matters. 
So even if you're a news media covering something, you could go to jail. Sure. For basically recording news. Yeah, sure. Well, you may recall, of course, the um, the video. There's no freedom of the press then. Yeah, I mean. Because that's one of the main things the press is there to cover is you know, that one kind of, of the, stuff. One of the things that um, I don't want to say I scoffed at a little bit, but it was a little hard. I, I was uh, uncomfortable with the definition of the show that we did with Robert Hyde several months ago about we now really do live in a police state. Yeah. I'd have to say that that's pretty close to reality at this that's point. That's what I thought, too. I thought of him, yeah. too. Yeah. When you said that. That that's pretty right. much defines it. If you can't record yeah. some kind of abuse or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's not like it's not like the guy was running away from a marked police car. Yeah. Right? He, he uh, an unmarked uh, Dodge Charger pulled up next to him, and the guy bailed out, the driver bailed out of the car. And put his gun in his put the put the gun in the guy's face. Well, and, and the thing too, I mean, no, regardless of what they did in punishment to him, I mean, regardless of what that is, mm-hmm. the fact that he'd have that video up, and that that would get him in trouble, mm-hmm. that's a whole separate issue, regarding to what punishment he'd yeah. do for what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, our listeners don't just need to hear that and shake their heads and think, oh boy, I hope that doesn't bother me one mm-hmm. day or impact me. They'd better call their congressman right now. Mm-hmm. And find some state representatives or somebody who actually can grasp the issue with that. Yeah. And do something. Mm-hmm. I, you know? I totally agree. I think about somebody like Susan Lynn, who's been on our show, who actually recognized how they confiscated guns during Katrina mm-hmm. and went and, and pushed that law through here in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. That at least who's under their jurisdiction, like National Guard and other state, cannot come and confiscate your guns mm-hmm. in emergency. Yeah. So, you know, that, 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 that's at least a recourse that we have locally for something like that. So this would be an ideal case, I think, to pick yep. up. Can I share with you a story? Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know I love the CIA. I love to talk about big, them a lot. Big buddies. Yeah. Uh, CIA making secret payments to members of Karzai administration. Oh, that's actually been going on for a long time. I'm well, sorry. Stuart. Well, then I won't read it then. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Won't you just call, call listen to, like, everybody knows that, including the Futurians Department? Well, I, I tend to get, I mean, I'm like you. I do uh. so much research on this stuff. It's like. What about my next story, Man Lands on the Moon? You're going to probably. Next thing you know, you're going to be telling me about the Russian buzzer. <laughs> you may look at my stories. Now. Is it in there, really? Yeah, it's in my story. <laughs> Um, okay, well, would you would you let me just yeah, humor me? I'm to really, read this? really sorry. I'm sorry. For those of you who've been living in a biosphere, <laughs> don't know like me, this is for you, okay? The, Come out of a cut center. The CIA is making secret payments to multiple members of President Hamid Karzai's administration in part to maintain sources of information in a government in which the Afghan leader is often seen as having a limited grasp of developments, according to current and former U.S. officials. The payments are long-standing in many cases and designed to help the agency maintain a deep roster of allies within the presidential palace. Some aides function as CIA informants, but others collect stipends under more informal arrangements meant to ensure their accessibility, a U.S. official said. The CIA has continued the payments despite concerns that it is backing corrupt officials and undermining efforts to wean Afghans' dependence on secret sources of income and graft. Now, this is just a case of showing nothing is what it seems. The whole lines of independent countries and governments, mm-hmm. all that stuff doesn't make any sense anymore. And the kings of the earth. That's right, and the merchants of the earth. Yep. This, I mean, oh, they have an independent government that's been formed now. Well, that doesn't mean anything. It means the CIA yeah. has a government and pushes these people. Yeah. You know what this also says, and you'll find it more. I've been seeing more stories on this. 
is that you know we hear all these things about how primitive and backward the Afghan people are, and you know how I've just re- heard a story the other day on Fox News that these people can't read and write, and it makes it hard to train them. Really? They're the ones skinning all of us. They're the ones that are taking money. Everybody's getting well U.S. taxpayer money. Yeah. You yeah. know. And they're they're taking us for a ride, mm-hmm. and 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 we're the real sophisticated people. Yeah. I'm not saying that to blame them. I mean, CIA's handing out money like there's no tomorrow, spending mm-hmm. like drunken sailors. So you mm-hmm. know, not surprising they take their money. But now, from what I've heard from some other sources, is that basically everybody, all the Taliban, everybody in the country, you get something if you get paid. And so whatever we hear about. What's happening in the news has been pre-engineered by who got what money, mm-hmm. and then sure. they go make that reality yeah. happen, and they tell us that's what's happening. Yeah, there's there's a number of things that I'd like to add to that, but it would take me a long time to really lay the groundwork. So we'll, well why don't you let me read this redundant story for a long time? I'm instead. sorry, I'm, okay. I'm really sorry. I'll go stand outside. No, it's okay. The, just don't snore during the uh, reading of this. The U.S. official, speaking on condition of anonymity, said a significant number of officials in Karzai's administration are on the payroll. Paul Gimdagliano, a CIA spokesman, disputed that characteristic, saying, This anonymous source appears driven by ignorance, malice, or both. Nice. We all know the CIA didn't do that name stuff. Name calling. A former, into the name calling. A former agency official said the payments were necessary because, quote, The head of the state is not going to tell you everything. Because he's the head of an independent state. Aren't, aren't they sovereign? Do they have to tell us? Or, no, I mean, you don't these are just puppets. Man, the CIA. You, they need to know everything, and it's all... About every country yeah. and what everybody's doing. And how dare the king not tell what everybody's doing or the leader. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and he says that because Karzai often seems unaware are, are of moves that members of his own government make, the disclosure comes as a corruption investigation into one of Karzai's senior national security advisors, an alleged agency informant, puts new strain on the already fraying relationship between Washington and Kabul. Top American officials, including Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton and Senator John Kerry, have expressed concern about Karzai's efforts to rein in anti-corruption teams, as well as intervention in the case against a security advisor. The aide, Mohammed Zia Saleh, is accused of accepting a $10,000 car as a bribe in exchange for his assistance in quashing a wide-ranging corruption probe. Again, it, the line blurs between having a government or just having thugs you hire. Yeah, well, I would go it's with the It's a blackwater world, basically. Yeah, just the thugs you hire. Well, if you want to put a badge and say I'm a government appointed, it's fine, but basically you're just paying me to do mm-hmm. a job, you know, for appearances if we want to make them look like a government. Um, uh, Karzai said Thursday that President Obama's timeline for withdrawing U.S. troops has given courage to the enemies of Afghanistan and complained that the United States wasn't doing enough to force Pakistan to stop supporting the Taliban. He says, we haven't progressed in the war against terrorism, Karzai said in a statement. Uh, the CIA has maintained a relationship with Afghan government officials for years. Um, uh, it says, as agency dollars flows in from the CIA, U.S.-backed investigative units are targeting prominent Afghans in the government and trying to stem the exodus of more than $1 billion in cash annually from the country. Mm-hmm. Each and every year, you wouldn't think that there were ten billion dollars of money in Afghan Afghanistan, but apparently there yeah. are. And they say here, um, it says the agency's approach has grown criticism from others in U.S. government who accuse the CIA of contributing to an atmosphere in which Afghans are conditioned to extend their hands for secret payments in almost every transaction. 
They'll pay whoever they think can help them, the U.S. official said. That has been the CIA attitude since 2001, mm. which is, the, you know, basically... Or the, even, perhaps even before. Well, yeah, that's in our government that they do that. Um, so I think you got the, you got the jest over here. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing is what it seems over there. Mm-hmm. You know the only way to stop that kind of stuff? Don't go to war over Just there. Just don't do it, yep. Don't let somebody tell you to some kind of false war. Yeah. And something that you have no way to verify if it Put really your, happened or not. Yeah, say, oh, well, we're going to concentrate on our country and making our, you know, doing our thing and then not have a real standing army and, mm-hmm. you know, be very libertarian about the whole thing. Well, here's some closing thought on Great. this uh, about just looking at different roles of things. It mm-hmm. says this flow of CIA money into the region dates to the agency's support for Mujahideen fighters who ousted Soviet forces three, three decades ago. Mm-hmm. The spigot was tightened during the 1990s but reopened after the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001. Mm-hmm. Well, so we're rewarding the people over there after the terrorist attacks with more money. Yeah. So, I mean, with the, with the, the incredible rise of... The heroin prices right after we invaded. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. The money thing is, is odd. But, I mean, wouldn't that promote more terrorism? If you go to an area where terrorists come from a region, and then you go send more money in there after the event? Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I mean, there's a lot of things about that that do, don't entirely make sense. You know, the the whole fact that the, the area is, like, about as big as Wyoming, and we can't subdue it. Mm-hmm. And the whole fact that... <clears throat> this guy's been on dialysis forever, for like twice as long as anybody who's ever been on dialysis in a mountainous country. Yeah. And uh, He's fact, amazingly robust, isn't he? Yeah, the fact that the CIA logo and the Al-Qaeda logo exist in the same layer of video in some of those things. Yeah. You know, makes me scratch my head, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. That's right. You got a story for us? Um. Yeah. Landless. Uh, do we want a little bit uplifting or more mayhem? You pick. Yeah. We'll go mayhem. Don't agree with Obama? Get ready for IRS probe. Uh, private group told review underway since work may contradict president. Um, the Internal Revenue Service has delayed approval of tax-exempt status for a private organization and, it, and is reviewing its educational work, telling a lawyer for the foundation that it must be examined by Washington because its activities may, quote-unquote, contradict the administration's public policies. The allegation is contained in a federal lawsuit filed in the Eastern District of Pennsylvania by Z Street, a Marion Station, Pennsylvania group that educates on the statehood and status of Israel. Um, they're very pro-Israel, I would mm-hmm. imagine. I haven't looked them up. Not only is it patently un-American, but it is also a clear violation of the First Amendment for a government agency to penalize an organization because of its political position on Israel or anything else, says Z Street President Lori Lowenthal Marcus, a former First Amendment lawyer. This situation is the same as if the government denied a driver's license to people because they were Republicans or Democrats. It goes against everything for which our country stands. And I would more or less agree Mm -hmm. with that. Uh, contracted by WorldNet Daily, contact, uh, contacted by WorldNet Daily, IRS officials declined to comment on the publicly publicity filed law, publicly filed lawsuit, or even say whether they would respond. Hmm. Now, I really enjoy the fact that the IRS just feels that they get sued, and they say, "Well, we don't have to respond." 
Yeah, you try that. Yeah, if they come and, after you, see yeah, what they do. Think about the implications for that. You but can't that redress, all the time. and you can't get redress. If yeah. you, I mean, so the courts, you're just totally helpless if they do something mm-hmm. wrong. Pretty much. The complaint states that the organization was working with IRS agent Diane Gentry, who had delayed a decision on its routine application for tax-exempt status for the educational organization. Agent Gentry further stated to to counsel for Z Street, these cases are being sent to a special unit in the D.C. office to determine whether the organization's activities contradict the administration's public policies, the lawsuit reports. Tax-exempt status routinely is granted to many types of organizations in addition to churches, uh, charitable, scientific, literary, and educational purposes may, uh, may all qualify under the IRS Code's Section 501c3, and Marcus pointed out that the Council on American-Islamic Relations, which was, indicted, uh, which was an unindicted co-conspirator in the Holy Land Foundation terror financing case and lobbies heavily in Congress for its agenda, uh, is granted the status. Um, we could go on and on and on, but you guys get the gist. You know, yeah. the, the IRS is now... Um, is now there to enforce policy. Police state. Yeah. I, I, again, I, I, I hearken back to Robert Hyde going, man, he may be, mm-hmm. this may be a little over the top for me, and then mm-hmm. well, look at that. It doesn't look that way until you're impacted by one of these, and then suddenly it looks like it. Yeah, I know. Until it's your turn. Yeah, it certainly looked like a police state on July 5th, about 1 a.m., when uh, the Arkansas Arkansas State Trooper was waving a gun in my face. That's true. It yeah. felt like it to you then. Yeah, it certainly felt like Of course, you like know, the connection state. is Robert Hyde was with you in that car, I wasn't know. it? There's something about that guy. Uh-huh. Like, Public enemy number yeah, one. Police state cloud. <laughs> yeah. I think that's that menacing appearance he has yeah. with that big long beard and the suspenders. Yeah. Kind of a Mennonite thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Really scares him. Yeah. Well, would you like a little story from us? Sure. I, I know I'm sort of hitting some old, you know... Tired stories. No, here, no, but, they're uh, good, man. Are you kidding? You this is from it. Washington Post. Knock it out of the park. Administration halts prosecution of alleged U.S. coal bomber. Um, the decision that at least temporarily scuttles what was supposed to be the signature trial of a major Al Qaeda figure under a reform system of military commissions, uh, and it comes practically on the eve of the 10th anniversary attack, which killed 17 sailors and wounded dozens when a boat packed with explosives ripped a hole in the warship. Um, it says, in a filing this week, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia, the Justice Department said that no charges are either pending or contemplated with respect to al-Nashiri in the near future. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? It is. You know something's going on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the statement tucked into a motion to dismiss a petition by Nashiri's attorneys suggests that the prospect of further military trials for detainees at Guantanamo Bay has all but ground to a halt much as the administration's plan to try the accused plotters on September 11th in federal court is stalled. So does that mean that they let them go, or does it mean that they just stay without a trial forever? Uh, I think in this case it means they stay without a trial. Okay. I could so be wrong. So that speedy trial, they don't qualify for that. Speedy Only, trial, yeah. they don't qualify for either. Yeah. Only two cases are moving forward at Guantanamo Bay, two. And both were sworn and referred for trial by the time Obama took office. So, hmm. you know, Mr. Defend Human Rights has not had any of them since then. Well, it, this, this sounds very much like something that would transpire uh, only in a world that Lawrence Work- Wilkerson sort of right. you know, right. talked about. Uh, look him up in our archives if you yeah. don't know who we're talking about. In January 2009, Defense Secretary Robert Gates uh, directed that the convening authority for military commissions stop referring cases for trial, an order that 20 months later has not been rescinded. 
it says um, several months ago, military officials were confident that Nashiri would be arranged this summer. It's politics at this point, said one military official. Uh, it's always sa- politics. Says he thinks politics. the administration does not want a proceeding as a high-value detainee without some prospect of civilian trials for other major figures at Guantanamo Bay. Uh, however, the White House disputed it. They said, we are confident that the reformed military commissions are lawful, fair, and effective prosecutorial forum, and the Defense Department will handle the referrals in an appropriate manner consistent with the interest of justice. Um, it says that they're still investigating the case right now. Uh, however, it says, uh, Gloria Cloudfelter says, after 10 years, it seems nobody really cares who's 21 your old son Kenneth was killed on the call. Let, let me let me just uh, point out one quick thing here. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it says the chart. I see. Uh, new administration instructed military prosecutors to suspend legal proceedings in Guantanamo Bay. The charges against Nashiri were withdrawn, uh, even though he was a Saudi national, was considered a senior Al Qaeda operative and close associate of Osama bin Laden. Um, but but now here here's sort of the rest of the uh, the story there. Um, Critics of military commissions say that Nashiri case exemplifies the system's flaws, particularly the ability to introduce certain evidence, such as hearsay statements, that would uh, probably not be admitted in federal court. The, pers- the prosecution is expected to rely heavily on statements made to the FBI by two Yemenis who allegedly implicated Nashiri. Mm-hmm. So it's just other people's opinions. Mm-hmm. Neither witness is expected at trial, but the FBI agents who interviewed them will testify. So the witnesses actually wouldn't confront the accused. It would be somebody who said they heard them say oh, that's ridiculous. from the government. Um, he says, unlike in federal court, you don't have the right to confront witnesses against you. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened to Jesus, too. You know, mm-hmm. um, uh, It says, such indirect testimony would be critical to a conviction because any incriminating statements that Sherry might have made are probably inadmissible under the 2009 Military Commissions Act, which means this is just in, in vogue mm-hmm. in 2009, which bars the use of evidence obtained through torture or cruel, inhuman, or degrading treatment. Nashiri 45 was captured in the United Arab Emirates in November 2002 and immediately placed in CIA custody. He was among three det- detainees held by the agency who was waterboarded, and a report by the CIA's Inspector General found that Nashiri was threatened with a gun and a power drill. Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised. So is that what we're trying to save our culture from these terrible, um, these terrible savages? And if it takes every power drill we got to be able to teach them what, how refined a society well, we can, are. I mean, according to you, uh, John, you you can you know torture people and do all sorts of bad stuff. Do we have any records of any terrorist attacks that were stopped because of using power drills or waterboarding? Not to my knowledge. But all that stuff is secret. But well, I have some, I have some thoughts about terrorist attacks and attempted terrorist attacks that would not fit with the mainstream. And they're not being so. led by the people who were told were being well, led. That, Could they I have something to do I with it? I can't think of a whole lot of ones that yeah. qualify for that. Right. Okay. Well, anyway, I just want to share that with you. Mm-hmm. And uh, police state. Yep. Sad, isn't it? Maybe it's no longer tomorrow's tremors. It's just police stay Friday. <laughs> yeah, it's like today. We got two minutes. Anything you want to give us a yep. quick blurb? Is this, this is, the uplifting? Yeah, one? a little bit uplifting. Okay, Civil we liberties need that. groups challenge constitutionality of secret U.S. program to target terror suspects for killing. 
Okay. That's positive. Um, the American Civil Liberties Union and the Center for Constitutional Uh-oh. Rights. We're a Christian show. You're saying something positive about the American Civil Liberties Union? Yeah, I mean, if they do good work. I thought they were evil. I've always well, heard I mean, on Christian radio that not all of what they do is evil. If you, if you want to be like one-dimensional, then yeah. Monday, challenging the U.S. government's authority to target and kill U.S. citizens outside of war zones when they are suspected of involvement in terrorism. The Civil Liberties Group sued in U.S. District Court in Washington after being retained by the father of Anwar al-Aliki, a radical U.S.-born cleric who was in hiding in Yemen. The CIA placed al-Aliki on its list of suspected terrorists. Uh, sorry, It is authorized to kill earlier this year. The cleric had been on a separate list of individuals targeted by the Joint Special Operations Command. So not we don't just have one list. we got two lists of people that we can, you know, mm-hmm. American citizens we need to preemptively kill. The United States can simply not, cannot simply execute people, including its own, its own citizens, anywhere in the world based on its own say-so. Vince Warren, executive director for the Center of Constitutional Rights, said in a written statement. See, that solves that trial problem I was just reading about that pesky thing about people having rights to a trial. Mm-hmm. If you just shoot them in the head without a trial, that solves a lot of problems for yeah. them. Oops, he's dead. Well, no trial. Mm-hmm. That the government adds people to kill lists after a bureaucratic process, and that's the crazy thing. It's like we all sit around. Who should we add? Ten seconds. Yeah, and leaves them on the list for months of time, flies the face of the Constitution and the international law. Done. I hope they got that clearly. Yeah. Uh, we have strange bedfellows to support, particularly as we enter the last days. Mm-hmm. People who you'll be surprised. Somebody else who's your friend is Merv, who can tell you how to contact us at FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. We've got to call it a day and a week, Mr. Mm-hmm. Bionic. Yeah. Would you join me next week for another interesting guest? I thought, what do you mean join you? I thought this was a me and you show. Did I well, miss I'm that just, memo? Just trying to be polite. Did I get, I get no. relegated to the dustbin? Can I join you yeah. for next week's show? Oh, there we go. I feel better now. We want you to join us next week. We'll have a great guest. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake.